We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 95 of the Spurs Up Show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys today. We're talking South Carolina baseball, Gamecocks being swept by the Vanderbilt Commodores over the weekend. Break down that series in its entirety. Also, some football news and notes, including Eldridge Thompson getting his sixth year of eligibility. Some interesting comments regarding the USC defense, some other stuff as well. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks Titan Andy Boyd as we talk about his historic South Carolina career, including battling injury, getting his sixth year of eligibility, playing for both Lou Holtz and Steve Spurrier, and much, much more. Before we dive into all that, this is a podcast presented to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. You guys hear me talk about those guys a lot. It's the only ticket buying app that I use and the only one that I would recommend to our listeners. Go download the SeatGeek app. Use our promo code SPURSUP, that's S-P-U-R-S-U-P, to get $10 off your first purchase. Whatever it is you're going to, whether it be South Carolina Gamecocks, sporting events, NBA, NHL, NFL, college football, obviously, when it comes back around, anything and everything you need your tickets to. It, can, it doesn't have to be sports as well. It can be concerts, comedy club events, you name it. Be sure to use our friends over at SeatGeek. They make it super simple and super easy for you. They actually have a ticket rating system, which they rate the tickets for you. So you know what you're getting before you click the buy button. You know if you're getting a really, really good deal. You know if you're getting ripped off. You know exactly what you're paying versus the market price. It's really that simple. Again, go download the SeatGeek app. Use our promo code SPURSUP and save $10 off your first purchase. All right, let's get into it. I'm Chris Phillips, your host as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Got a lot to talk about. As I mentioned, we're going to start on the baseball diamond. Gamecocks getting swept over the weekend by Vanderbilt. Final scores of all three games, 22-11, to 9-3, and 6-2. Um, South Carolina obviously postponed on Saturday. South Carolina having to play a doubleheader on Sunday to seven inning games. Um, overall, just breaking down the series, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it because – this was the result I think we all sort of expected and exactly what I said last week before the series started. You know, South Carolina was overmatched, um, and, and it really showed on the field, especially in the Friday night game. You know, South Carolina tried to hang around there early, actually had the lead, had a 5-1 to one lead. From that point on, the third, really the fourth inning on, Vanderbilt throws a four, seven spot up in the fourth, throws a nine spot up in the sixth, and from there, really, it was, it was wide open. Vanderbilt just took, took – 
full advantage of South Carolina's depleted pitching staff. Of course, 22 runs on 15 hits. Um, I believe, I don't know if that's the most runs scored at Founders Park by an opponent, but definitely one of the highest totals. Again, Gamecocks dropped that one 22 to 11. Um, the games obviously washed out on Saturday, Sunday, two seven-inning games, which you think would be an advantage for the Gamecocks with their depleted and thin pitching staff. Uh, no matter, Gamecocks dropped the game one, nine to three, lose game two, six to two, to fall to Vanderbilt in all three games. Again, I, I don't, at this point in the season, I, I don't think there's a ton to take away in regards to things that we maybe learned that we didn't already know. Uh, we knew that Vanderbilt was really, really good. We knew that South Carolina was really, really struggling. And I think that just showed on the field this past weekend. Um, Vanderbilt coming in doing what a team like Vanderbilt should do. You know, ranked number four in the country, number two in the country, depending on what polls you're looking at. But a team like Vandy that's got Omaha on its mind, has national championship hopes, really did what it was supposed to do this weekend against South Carolina. You know, again, the Gamecocks obviously struggling. Um, you, you take a look overall at the series. I mean, nothing really clicked any of the three games. Um, South Carolina obviously with a chance to win in game two. Um, you're tied three to three going to the fifth. You're down four three going to the sixth. Um, you give up another run, you're down 5-3, and in the seventh inning, Vanderbilt scores four runs in the top of the seventh to really blow that game open as well. So, again, it's it's the same old story for South Carolina baseball right now, and, and I think that, you know, this season has obviously taken its toll already mentally on the, in the locker room and I think on this coaching staff as well. And you saw more of the same of that this weekend. I mean, South Carolina looked like a team, you know, with all due respect to those guys on the field, looked like a team that is ready to – you know, get this one over with. And who can really at this point blame them? I mean, South Carolina now overall record sits at 24 and 23, 5 and 19 in the SEC. Gamecocks sit dead last in the SEC overall out of all 14 teams, sitting dead last. South Carolina right now obviously chasing Hoover. Um, I think if South Carolina were to miss Hoover, it'd be the first time. It'd only be the second time since they joined the SEC in 92. I'm not sure the last time they missed the SEC tournament, but overall, that's what South Carolina's fighting for right now. Obviously, Gamecocks are dead last in the SEC, have a massive, massive series coming up this weekend against Kentucky that I'll break down later in the week. But, yeah, I mean, things aren't good right now if you're Carolina baseball. I mean, overall, I just think that, again, not a ton to take away from the series over the weekend that we didn't already know. Um, you know, when you're behind the eight ball, as South Carolina is with pitching staff and your guys aren't hitting like the Gamecocks are either. I mean, overall on the weekend, Gamecocks outscored – 37 to 16. I mean, that is a, an insane margin there. So, overall, you know, it wasn't close. It was really what we all thought it was, which was Vandy came in and just dominated and did what they should have done. A team like that really did what it should have done to South Carolina. So, overall, I mean, a disappointing weekend. You'd like to see South Carolina at least take one of three. I thought it was possible they could have taken one of three. Um, you know, overall, I, you know, I didn't hate the weekend rotation, I guess, of Lloyd, Morgan, and then uh, and then Tringali. But, you know, overall, you know, I, I think what's just being exposed right now, even with Reed Morgan, you know, as much as I like Reed Morgan, I think he, even he's being exposed a little bit, just the sense that, you know, Mark Kingston said a couple weeks ago that South Carolina doesn't have, you know, in, in Friday nights in the SEC, games one, game ones in the SEC, and really just SEC pitching in general, you know, it, it truly is a different level when you're out there facing these guys. Um, overall, I think that's something that Mark Kingston acknowledged. And I think even when you take a look at Reed Morgan, listen, Reed Morgan has been solid for South Carolina. but And I've and I fought for him to be the number one guy. I thought he should have been the ace. He's been the ace all year as far as he's thrown the best of anybody on the team. But Reed Morgan in no way, shape, or form is the Friday night guy or probably even a weekend starter on any other SEC team that's ranked right now. 
there's not even a chance, in my opinion. He's a bullpen guy. Um, and I think you're seeing that with a guy, again, Reed Morgan, good stuff. He's a battler. He's a bulldog out there. But a guy that does not throw hard enough to get away with mistakes. And a guy that if you see him, when, when he gets beat, most of the time he's elevated. And you saw that again this weekend, five and a third, five hits, five runs, four earned, six walks, which was the thing that really stood out to me, six walks and a hit by pitch, something that's extremely uncharacteristic of Reed Morgan. Again, I'm not trying to pile on him because, honestly, he's one of the only reasons South Carolina has been able to hang in any of the series they've been able to hang in. But overall, again, th- things just not on a positive note right now for Carolina baseball. Again, Gamecocks overall 24 and 23, five and 19 in the SEC. You have the midweek this week against Furman on Wednesday, which – Listen, I you know, really the midweek games mean nothing to me anymore. I, get, I draw no excitement from those games, whether South Carolina wins or loses. And then a huge series coming up this weekend, I think just for pride more than anything. And like I said, we'll break that down later in the week. But I, I just think we're going to see the rest of this season how much pride this South Carolina Gamecocks baseball team has. Because, listen, you're not playing to go to the postseason. You're not playing to go to Omaha. You might not even make it to Hoover. But – how much pride do you have? I mean, how, you know, and I think this weekend is going to tell us more than next weekend because, again, I think the final weekend of the season, SEC weekend against Mississippi State, is similar to what we saw this past weekend in the sense that South Carolina is just going to be overmatched. I mean, there really is. I mean, South Carolina could play his best baseball and win one of three games. Um, but this upcoming weekend, to me, is really going to tell us a lot about where where South Carolina is mentally. Do they roll over and just kind of say, flush this season, we don't want to play anymore? Or do they come out and try to make a statement, win their first series of the season, win their first SEC series of the season, and try to make a statement at least and play for their pride? So I'm very interested to see that. But overall, obviously, a disappointing weekend for Gamecocks baseball, but I really think what we all expected overall. Um, let's move into some football news and notes. Some definitely some interesting stuff to talk about. First, I'll start. Well, actually, before we get off the baseball thing real quick, one other piece of news that came out for baseball, obviously, TJ Shook. Um, not much season left, but he's out for the rest of the season due to a back injury. It's just when it rains, it pours for kind of baseball. And it is, it does beg the question, has any athletic department in the past, in the 2018 and 19 athletic year, I guess you could say, has any athletic department or any team suffered as much injuries as South Carolina has in all three of the major sports? It's insane to me. It seems insane, especially when you think of all the pitchers that have been out for South Carolina this year. Something's up, man. I don't know if it's in the water or if it's just bad luck or what it is, but something's up. But T.J. Shook out for the rest of the season due to a back injury. I think something he he uh, he re-injured, something that he had in high school that he re-injured. So, overall, T.J. Shook out for the year again. Um, all right, let's get into those football news and notes. First thing, positive news, Eldridge Thompson, linebacker, gets his sixth year of eligibility for the Gamecocks. He will be back on the field. I think a huge, huge piece. I think big news for Will Muschamp and company overall. I think Eldridge Thompson's a guy that – Listen, he's not going to be an all-SEC guy. He's not going to wow you or anything. But I think a guy that provides very much quality depth. Um, I think a guy that can certainly get in there and make plays, a guy they certainly could have used last year different times, somebody that will be big on special teams as well. But, again, if nothing else, at a position that was certainly a weakness last year that was certainly exposed in different situations, I think all of the experience you can have there is, is key. And I think getting Eldridge Thompson back for his sixth year is huge for Will Muschamp and company. Also, um, other football news and notes. Barrett Salee, I want to talk about these comments really quickly. Well, actually, we'll go to the other piece of news, and I'll talk about the comments. Casey Crosby is getting his shot with the Giants. Um, that was a signing after we released the Thursday show. He signed with the New York Giants, getting uh, going out for training camp. So, overall, great for KC, a guy that I honestly really thought was underutilized at South Carolina, a guy that I think pick, I picked him multiple times to be my breakout player for the season it really just never clicked for Casey whether it was injuries or 
he just really didn't get the ball enough. But overall, I'm glad to see Casey Crosby getting a shot because I think a guy with a lot of athletic ability, if he could be put and used the right way, I think he could do some big things. All right, let's get into these Barrett, this, uh, this Barrett Salee quote because I think it's very interesting. Barrett Salee, good friend of ours, friend of the show, plan on having him back on over the next couple of weeks to talk about these comments. Uh, he released a piece over on CBS Sports about his – his biggest takeaways for each individual team after spring practice. And this is what he wrote for South Carolina. I kind of want to break it down. He said, quote, this is finally his defense. It has taken three full recruiting cycles, but Coach Will Muschamp finally has the depth and versatility up front on defense that he has been hoping to gain. Javon Kinlaw and Kobe Smith should be forces in the middle of the defensive line. Here, Thomas is a veteran who will play a ton, and Zach Pickens is a five-star stud who appears to be primed for an immediate impact. Kinlaw and Thomas were banged up a bit this spring, which give, gave some valuable reps to players who will be counted on the rotation. Add in veteran DJ Wanham at the hybrid defensive end linebacker spot, and this could be one of the surprise units in the SEC. Um, yeah, so definitely agree with what Barrett said. I, I, I've talked about this. I'm not sure if I've talked about it quite as much on air, but definitely to other people that have asked me about, you know, the prospects of South Carolina's football season. Obviously, with it creeping here, everybody's kind of ready to get some football talk in. I'm very, very, very excited for this USC defense in 2019. I think for the first time in a long time, you look at that side of the ball and you're really seeing some legitimate, legitimate big-time playmaking athletes to me. That's the biggest thing to me. Listen, I don't know if South Carolina will have a, a top five defense in the SEC or just quite how good this defense will be, but you know there's talent there. You look at from the secondary – even with the questions in the linebacking core, you know there's good talent there led by T.J. Brunson. There's good young talent like Ernest Jones. Then you overall in the front seven, you look at the defensive line. You've got D.J. Wanamback, Javon Kinlaw, Zach Pickens, Joseph Anderson, Jaquez Searles, Ricky Sandage, J.J. Nigbare, Brad Johnson, Aaron Sterling. I think there are a lot of guys and a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this South Carolina defense. Again, I think Barrett Salee makes plenty of great points, and I think certainly one of them is that I think this is going to be the first year we're really going to be able to see Will Muschamp's fingerprints on the South Carolina defense. I don't think we've really been able to see that these first couple of years because the real the rebuilding job was so big on the defensive side of the ball. I don't think it was quite as big on the offensive side. Again, you know, it was big on both sides, but I think that they were able to plug some holes much, much quicker than on the defensive side where you really have to have the defensive line depth. You've got to have playmakers in the secondary, speed, things of that nature, things that can only be fixed by recruiting. So I'm really, really excited to see this defense. And, you know, people talk a lot about Will Muschamp and maybe his shortcomings offensively. Will he be the guy at South Carolina, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And those are questions that are still out there. The jury uh, or the verdict is still out there, and it lies in the, in the results on the field, obviously. But to me, one of the biggest reasons I'm optimistic about the Will Muschamp era and what's happening right now in Columbia is that the last time South Carolina won big, everybody will think back to Connor Shaw or Steven Garcia, Alshon Jeffrey, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Marcus Lattimore, all these great playmakers on the offensive side. But to me, I think more so is that South Carolina has never had a, a great team or a dominant team without a dominant defense. And to me, the fact that Will Muschamp is bringing that back to Columbia, getting these guys on that side of the ball, getting these playmakers on that side of the ball – makes me very, 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 very excited. Because I think South Carolina, again, even last year, you know, I think even last year, South Carolina did enough offensively, you know, outside of a few games, I think off the top of my head, the Virginia game. But South Carolina did, did enough offensively in a lot of games to win. Um, I, I really do think so. And I think there's a lot of things that a, a dominant defense can mask for you as far as the shortcomings of your offense. I, 
I'm just overall very excited with what Will Muschamp is building on that side of the football. I, I think that, you know, another reason I'm optimistic is because, you know, if Will Muschamp can get out of his own way or stay out of the offense's way, I think he's got a great guy leading that unit in Brian McClendon. I, I think that offensive unit will be just fine over the next two, three, four years, however long McClendon is in that position. Obviously, he's a very highly sought-after guy. He's a guy that can obviously coach. I thought he had a really, really good first year as OC. Again, I think Will Muschamp, T-Rob are doing a fantastic job putting athletes on that defensive side of the ball. And I'm extremely excited to watch them. Again, I'm not saying that South Carolina is going to go out there and shut out Georgia or Bama or Clemson or whoever. But I do think we're going to just see a lot more athleticism than we've seen um, in a long time at South Carolina, to be completely honest with you. I think the first couple of years of Will Muschamp's era, we saw a lot of guys out there that – maybe just flat out did not belong on this level of college football. I think we're not going to see that this year. I think there are a ton of guys, a ton of big-time athletes that are going to be lining up on the side of the ball. Obviously, some will still be very, very young. You think of the Cam Smith, the Shiloh Sanders, the, the John Dixons, the, you know, I mentioned the D-Lyman, Joseph Anderson, Zach Pickens, guys they're going to be asking a lot of, Rodriguez Fitton, guys like that. But overall, I feel really good about the direction of this program and where it's headed because I think that for South Carolina to get back to where it was or get close to that level, they need to, first things first, get dominant on the defensive side of the football. Um, again, it, which is funny because Will Muschamp's biggest knock has been his offense, but I think it's South Carolina, you know, he's had a fairly decent offense, especially when you talk about last year. Obviously, the first two years you had Kurt Roper, and we all know that how that went, but – I think last year, South Carolina increased in a lot of different areas. I know it wasn't perfect, and obviously there's flame to pass around from the receivers to Jake Bentley to the offensive line not protecting. It wasn't a perfect thing last year, but I think you're going to be able to get enough offense if you can have a defense that is dominant and can keep you in football games. I really do. So I'm very, very excited in regards to not just next year, but really the direction of the program um, as a whole. All right, let's move into some listener questions. Got a ton of listener questions I want to get to here. Um, let's see, let me pull these up just one second overall. A lot, like I said, a lot of good questions. There's been a lot of, a lot of buzz lately as far as on social media with, I think people are really starting to get kind of fired up, um, fired up for football season overall. Let's see here if I can just find it. Uh, here we go. Stories. Okay. Questions for the show. Here we go. All right. Let's start with Ben Smitty 2017. And here's a really good question. I think, how is it logical to think Carolina can ever catch UGA or Clemson? It's a really good question, Ben. Really good question. It's a question a lot of people are asking right now. I posted something on social media just before I came on to record. Um, you know, I don't think you're going to – here's the thing. I guess as fans, we can worry differently about different things, right? We, we don't have to – you know, the old sayings about, you know, stay, you know, one game at a time, you can't look ahead. Well, the, the great thing is fans and people on the outside, we can do whatever we want. We can look ahead. We can look ahead. Next year, five years, doesn't really matter. Um, and so we can look at things like how are you going to catch Georgia? How are you going to catch Clemson? I'm sure in the building that's obviously something they, they know of, but they're just trying to get better every single day, recruit the absolute best players they can get, and be the best absolute team they can be. It's not, you know, it's not on their bulletin board of how can we catch Clemson today. Um, but I've seen a lot of people – you know, on social media overall kind of, you know, things aren't great right now in Gamecock land as far as really the big three sports are concerned. Let's face it, 2018 to 2019 was not great in any regard. South Carolina football went seven and five and had a terrible loss in the belt bowl to finish seven and six. Gamecocks basketball missing the postseason. Um, 
<clears throat> excuse me, for the second straight year. And then Gamecock baseball, obviously, having the one of the worst seasons it's had in 30-plus years, I would say. Um, in regards to the catching Clemson and Georgia comment, obviously those guys are in the midst of their best runs in school history when it comes to success overall. Um, I, I think for South Carolina fans, the one thing – this would be my, my piece of advice to you. Stop worrying about what Clemson is doing. Because you even mentioned Georgia, but it's mainly – it's 90%. Clemson, you know, I noticed over the weekend Clemson gets a couple commits. I think they got a five-star running back. They got a big-time quarterback, the DJ, however you say his last name, out of the state of, I believe, California. Um, yeah, from St. John Bosco. You know, and a lot of fans reacting in a lot of different type of ways. The, the biggest piece of advice I would have to a Gamecock fan right now is simply completely shut off and ignore what Clemson is doing. And the reason that I say that is not because it's to block out, oh, well, you know, they're this good, blah, blah, blah. I, what I don't like right now, what I'm seeing from fans is because I think fans are, they're so worried about what Clemson, about what Georgia, about what Alabama is doing, that South Carolina fans are, it's almost like, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or almost, almost like lusting after your neighbor in the sense that you're spending all your time and energy worrying about what those guys are doing instead of looking at what's right in front of you, what good things are happening at South Carolina. I mean, South Carolina fans or whoever, you know, it's, it upsets them because Clemson gets a five-star quarterback commitment or quarterback signee or whatever. It's like fans forget. South Carolina has Ryan Holinsky on campus now. South Carolina has Luke Doty committed. I mean, those, those guys can hold their own, certainly. I mean, all I'm saying is the South Carolina fans, and listen, how is South Carolina going to catch those teams? Continue to recruit, continue to recruit at a high level and win some games. Have it, have, you're going to have to have some breakout games and win some games you're not supposed to, whether that is upsetting an Alabama at home, whether that is upsetting a Clemson at home, whether that's going into Athens and winning a big game, whether that's beating the trio of Florida, Tennessee, and Texas A&M. You obviously have to, have to, have to beat Kentucky. There are no ifs, ands, or buts with that. But I think it is logical. Listen, Clemson, I, I did, was it logical for me to think that, you know, South Carolina was never going to lose to Clemson again after 2013, after South Carolina won five in a row? No, it wasn't logical. So I don't think it's logical to think that Clemson and Georgia will remain on this level forever. I just don't think it is. And I think, again, for South Carolina to reach that level, first, first things first, again, from a fan perspective, my piece of advice would be stop worrying so much about what that other guy is doing and worry about what South Carolina's got going on because it is great things. I mean, you have to look at it in an optimistic fashion. If you don't, you're going to drive yourself absolutely insane. I know it can be frustrating because a lot of South Carolina fans, you know, in the state of South Carolina, that game is over, over their head 365 days a year. I know a lot of you guys listen to this. You work with Clemson fans every single day. You have to face them every single day. But I'm telling you, as best you can, listen, South, Clemson's having their best record of success in the history of its school. It's never had this type of success. And I know all the stuff going on with the, the Osterine and the comments, the resources comments, things of that nature. But I think South Carolina fans really, really need to focus and lock in on the good things that are happening at South Carolina right now. Because that's the biggest knock on Will Muschamp to me. Not that, you know, obviously, again, there are some things we can go into as far as the Kentucky losses and some other losses. But, I mean, the facts are the facts in the sense that Will Muschamp has more wins over his first three seasons than Steve Spurrier did. Those are facts. The thing that Will Muschamp is facing that Steve Spurrier did not is that Clemson and Georgia are in the midst of their greatest runs in school history. 
Steve Spurrier did not have to deal with that. Steve Spurrier dealt with Mark Ricks, Georgia, and a six to seven win Clemson program that was really nothing. I mean, it was nothing. It was nothing. It was not a college football powerhouse in any sense, you know, any form or fashion. Um, because I can promise you, if Will Muschamp had the same exact record with the losses to Kentucky, things of that nature, you could keep everything exactly the same. But if they had beaten Clemson one of those three years, we're having a completely different conversation. I think the Clemson cloud is hanging over a lot of fans' heads, and I hate to see it because, again, you know, I think you need to focus on, again, what is South Carolina doing right now? What are they doing well? And it's a lot of things. They're bringing in a lot of talent. Will Muschamp and his staff are bringing in a lot of talent. Obviously, there are things on the field that we need to see to go along with that, but a lot of good and a lot of positive things are happening at South Carolina. But, Ben, I do think it's logical to think it can happen. Is it going to happen overnight? Absolutely not. But if you continue to recruit at a high level, if you continue to do the little things right, those things will add up at some point, and South Carolina will break through and I think beat one of those teams. I think it will happen because, listen, upsets happen all the time in college football. And, again, it's going to play itself out as far as the Will Muschamp conversation because at some point, like I mentioned, you do have to go out there and win a game you're not supposed to win, that you're not favored to win. Upsets happen all the time in college football. Look at Purdue beating Ohio State last year. Upsets happen all the time in college football. It's South Carolina at some point, to me, to break through and take the next step as a program to get back to where they were from 2010 to 2013. I mean, think about what set off the Spurrier run, the Spurrier, you know, the five, not just the five years in a row versus Clemson, but really all the success. I would say two games, 2009 versus Ole Miss, yes, but really the game that set it off, 2010 versus Alabama. That upset really put South Carolina on the map and really – in my opinion, change the trajectory completely of South Carolina football. South Carolina is going to need to come up with one of those type of performances and keep doing what it's doing in order to catch where Georgia, Clemson, and Alabama are currently right now. But I think it is logical that it can happen. Will it be Will Muschamp that gets South Carolina to that level? That question is yet to be answered. All right, um, underscore Jacob BMC, or underscore Jacob MC. Which sport do you think will step up its game first, football, basketball, or baseball? That's a really, really, really good question. Because I, I know long-term, which I think will have more success. I talked about that, a, I think, a couple shows ago about which coach I think will have most success. But which sport will step up its game first? Um, that is a great question. I'm not going to say football just because of the schedule. Kind of off the wall here, I think I might say basketball. I think basketball's got a lot of talent returning next year. You got Frank Martin coming back. If A.J. Lawson, this is a big if, big asterisk, if he does not go to the draft, comes back for his, for his sophomore year, I think South Carolina could make a splash in a big-time year next year. I'm, I'm very, you know, I'm very cautiously optimistic that baseball can turn everything around. I want to believe they can, obviously. Obviously, next year can't be any worse than it is this year, but can South Carolina – really turn it around and break through. and Because you have to think, South Carolina is going to be young again next year. I mean, Mark Kingston, you know, he's obviously bringing in a ton of pitching next year to try to help things out. But even with guys getting, getting guys back from injury, they're going to be depending on a lot of new faces again next year. So I'm not sure how much better the baseball team. I think they'll obviously be better because I think the pressure will be gone. I, this is a whole other conversation for on of the day, but I think the pressure will be on next season for Mark Kingston and staff and that team to make the postseason no matter what. But which one do I think will step up its game, per se, um, and maybe exceed expectations? I think the basketball team has the best chance to do that in 2019, to be completely honest with you. 
Um, AJ Bowers underscore 11. What are the two big teams you think we have a chance at beating? I'm assuming you're talking football. Two big teams. Um, I'll just say the two best are the two big teams that we have the best chance at beating. I'm not going to limit this to Clemson, Georgia, Bama. Um, I think the two big teams you have the best chance at beating are the, the, the best teams. I, I'm getting all tongue twisted. Who you have the best chance of beating out of the big teams? Two of those would be, I think, Clemson at home. I think, <clears throat> I think you've got the opportunity there. Clemson at home. Um, do you want to consider Florida a big team? I, to me, I, I don't consider them a big team. I, I really don't. Um, if you want to say Clemson, Georgia, I guess, out of the big games, um, because I, I, I'm, I'm very worried about the Alabama game. I'll be completely honest with you, just because Bama, I think, is on a completely different level. Um, but I certainly think – I think Clemson at home is definitely the best chance to play big-time upset um, in 2019. I just think that's a rivalry game, getting it at home. Um, a senior Jake Bentley, a, you know, a, a very, very, very improved defense. Obviously, Clemson's going to be loaded, but I think overall that could be a game where South Carolina breaks through. Um, you know, I think at Texas A&M, I know Texas a and is going to be really good this year, but I think Carolina can get that one. I think they can finally break that streak. Um, but if you want to count Florida, I'll say that one as well. But, I, you know, I think your your best chance at a big-time upset is Clemson at home to end the season. I really do. I, you know, I think I would rank it Clemson at home, Georgia on the road, and then Bama third. Um, <clears throat> Jonathan Weatherford, if Bentley starts turning into Bentley, will Muschamp finally pull him? That's going to be very interesting to see just what the leash is for Jake Bentley because obviously last year, I mean, when you, when you had Michael Skarnecchia behind him, I mean – you know, there wasn't, I guess, a whole lot of competition with all due respect to our buddy Michael. Um, there wasn't a ton of competition in the sense that you really felt like it was pushing Jake Bentley. Um, this year you've got Ryan Holinsky. This year you've got Dakarion Joyner who can play. Um, so I'm very interested to see what the leash is. I mean, I have to – listen, I have to believe if Will Muschamp has rode the Jake Bentley train to this point, it's going to take an injury to knock Jake Bentley out. I really – unless he's just so unbearably bad. Because even last year when Jake Bentley we thought was so unbearably bad against Kentucky, you know, I hate to use the E word, but there were a lot of excuses made as to why he played bad um, and reasons that he should not have been pulled, things of that nature. So I, I just don't know. I, I just don't – I think Will Muschamp is going to see the Jake Bentley the Jake Bentley experience out, if you will. I, I don't think he's going to be a quick trigger, pull Jake Bentley and put Ryan Holinsky in. I just don't see it happening. Um but overall, again, it's really going to be one of the more interesting storylines, I think, going into the football season is just how quick of a trigger do they have? I mean, I think it's obviously going to depend on how much does Alinsky show them in preseason camp, how ready he is to go with the playbook, things of that nature. But we saw in the spring game, kids got ridiculous arm talent. We know about his leadership qualities, his abilities, things of that nature. Um, and I, I can assure you, if Jake Bentley is playing the way he did last year, if Bentley turns to Bentley, as you call it, um, there are going to be a lot of fans calling for Ryan Holinsky to get some snaps. Again, I'm not 100% sure he will, though. Um, Walker Bowl, last question. Do we have the toughest schedule this year, and what's your opinion about it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think going into the season, looking at it right now, yeah, I think it's extremely fair to say that South Carolina certainly has the toughest schedule in the country. Uh, I mean, you look at who they're playing, teams one, two, and three, Clemson, Georgia, Bama, however you want to rate them, whatever. Um, you've got Florida, Texas A&M, Missouri with Kelly Bryant, Tennessee, who to some people, including our friend Brad Crawford, is on the rise, um, Appalachian State, which was a 
10-plus win team in the FCS last year. You've got North Carolina, which I'm not too worried about North Carolina, but overall that's a Power 5 school with Mac Brown taking over. So, you know, overall, I certainly think it is the toughest schedule in college football. Now, what do I think about the schedule? Here's my thing with the schedule. Yes, it is the toughest schedule in college football right now. However, I would be willing to bet out of the teams that I just mentioned, not the Clemson, Georgia's, Bama's, but out of the Florida's, Tennessee's, Texas A&M's, um, Missouri's, I would be willing to bet you one of those, at least one of those teams is not quite as good as we think they are. Because, listen, in the offseason, everybody's good. Everybody's undefeated. Everybody's really, really good right now. Um, and everybody's saying, you know, just – how good every single opponent South Carolina plays is. Well, that's not – it doesn't really always work out like that. I think anybody that's been watching football long enough or just watching sports in general, like predictions don't always work out like that. Like it just doesn't always work like that. So to me, again, the schedule is the toughest in the country, but I think South Carolina will have the opportunity to win seven-plus games in 2019. I do. I think they'll have that opportunity because I don't think – it's not like you're playing Alabama every single week. It's just not. Um, you know, it, there are plenty of question marks with these other teams. You know, will Missouri be as good as they think with Kelly Bryant at quarterback? Can Felipe Franks actually be that guy? I mean, you're talking about a Florida team that South Carolina had down 17 points in the swamp last year. Let's not forget that. I mean, it, let's not act like this is a, you know, a team that even, you know, that, that beat down South Carolina. I mean, you're talking about a Tennessee team that South Carolina beat at home and has beaten three straight years. You're talking about a Texas A&M team that, frankly, South Carolina should have beaten last year and that South Carolina has hung with every single year that South Carolina is due for a win against. Um, you're talking about a Missouri team that South Carolina has had a ton of success against, like I said. So, I mean, yes, the schedule is tough, but I think things will play out in the sense where, again, I think out of those smaller teams, if you will, I quote-unquote smaller, one of those teams will not be quite the powerhouse, you know, I use that phrase lightly, the powerhouse that some are expecting. So. Again, tough squit, tough schedule, but I don't think you can go five and seven and say, oh, the schedule was tough. Well, there are going to be opportunities to win the games there, 110%. Um, all right, cool. So that's going to do it for the listener questions. Going to do it pretty much for the show. Have a fantastic interview coming up with former Gamecocks Titan Andy Boyd. Had a phenomenal conversation with him, and the conversation is brought to you again by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket buying app by far. If you've not done so yet, download that SeatGeek app. Use the promo code SPURSUP and save $10 off your first purchase. Again, like I mentioned, they have tickets to literally anything and everything. Obviously, everything South Carolina Gamecocks, but it does not have to be sports. Any concerts you're going to, comedy club events. Obviously, summer is coming up, so I know people are going to a ton of different concerts and events and you know, festivals, things of that nature. They're going to have the tickets there for you on that app. It's really that simple. Go download SeatGeek, use that promo code SPURSUP, apply it to your order, and save $10 off of your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks tight end Andy Boyd. All right, joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that spent a lot of time with Gamecocks football from 2002 to 2007 as a Gamecocks tight end, also a GA. I want to welcome to the show former Gamecocks tight end Andy Boyd. Andy, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. I appreciate you uh, including me in on it. You know, it's nice to be remembered, even though it seems like a lifetime ago. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So you signed to come to South Carolina February 6th, 2002. Um, obviously a very interesting career that I can't wait to talk about. But let's just kind of go back to your high school days, a kid from Concord, North Carolina, three-star recruit. 
out of Concord. Just talk about your recruitment as a whole and what eventually led you to become a Gamecock. Sure. Um, so born and raised Concord, North Carolina, um, you know, predominantly played defense when I was in high school, played a uh, little linebacker. Um, my head coach was Coach Easy Smith, who actually played for South Carolina back in the 70s and stuff. Um, but, you know, honestly, the my, my trail to to here, you know, growing up, uh, you know, as a young kid and a fan and stuff, I mean, there wasn't too many South Carolina Gamecock stuff that I was really ever introduced to. Growing up and, you know, being being around that Charlotte area, it's a hub just as much for ACC, uh, obviously primarily basketball and stuff like that with Duke, North Carolina and stuff. But grew up a huge North Carolina fan back when Matt Brown was there at UNC for the first time. So, you know, I always had aspirations. That was probably like the place that I wanted to go to. But as my recruitment started, you know, kind of really that latter part of my junior year, I'm pretty sure that was Torbush's last year there um and Mac Brown had already been gone from UNC for two or three years so I mean I remember like I said just that was kind of that place that I wanted to go and um as I you know as the as the year progressed through my junior year and stuff that was one of the things as far as just even the recruitment um or actually I should say really into my senior year because really I was offered by Ohio University and Duke um were like my first two offers and then a couple weeks later um got the official uh, offer from South Carolina and honestly that was kind of my first introduction to them and um you know it, it was obviously worth exploring and stuff and I think I came down here for the first time through a academic day um you know able to tour the campus see everything go to the stadium meet Holtz for the first time and um, you know, and I'd, I'd been up to Chapel Hill many times and, you know, it was just something different about the place. And, um, you know, the program, I think at the time too, I mean, it just came off of eight and four, nine and three back to back out that bowl victories. And, you know, I had a lot of, you know, great aspirations and, you know, the program was definitely on the way up and, uh, you know, really a lot of it was, it came down to me. I, I just didn't want to draw the, the process of recruiting out. And again, you know, my heart was kind of wanting to go to North Carolina. Well, they kind of fiddled far around and never really offered me. So, you know, by midsummer, I was kind of, I was done with North Carolina really. And, uh, you know, that's where I really kind of started exploring the other options and stuff. But, you know, I think I came down for another unofficial visit with, uh, with Skip. And, uh, you know, he kind of took me around, you know, showed me campus kind of much of the same thing and stuff. And, um, and I think it was early August and stuff. And there, a lot of it was just my intentions. I mean, growing up playing football and, you know, even with my high school teammates and stuff, you know, that was the last time that all of us were going to be able to play together. And, uh, you know, it was just important to me um, that I wanted to have my recruiting process behind me and all that stuff too. And, you know, Skip and I built a great relationship. And, you know, it just it, it seemed like a perfect fit. It just really, really did. And, um, whenever I came down here, it was just always, like I said, just always a warm, welcome feeling. And, uh, you know, much more to say for, to play for a coach like Lou Holtz. Um, and obviously with his historical career and all that stuff too. And, uh, you know, even at that age, like I said, just, you know, everybody coming out in those shoes, you know, you have aspirations of greatness and doing great things and stuff like that. And um, even from the get-go, I think a lot of it, even from what, you know, Holtz even – you know, his big selling point and stuff too was just, you know, the chance to compete 
chance to compete for playing time and even as early as my freshman year. So, I mean, it just kind of solidified the fact of, you know, why I wanted to come here. I mean, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, the top conference in the country. I mean, the best athletes play here, you get the most exposure and, you know, what are not, you know, what not a great challenge for each individual to, you know, test themselves to prove that they can play in such a, such a highly competitive conference. No doubt. So I got to ask, being a North Carolina guy, you mentioned you were a big UNC fan growing up. You're from Concord. Mm -hmm. How quickly did you uh, were you able to adjust to calling South Carolina the real Carolina, referring to uh, South Carolina as Carolina and not uh, North Carolina as Carolina? Sure. Oh no. I mean, I. I mean, as soon as I even committed and stuff, believe me, I think there was somewhere around two dozen people, even from my graduating class, that ended up going to Chapel Hill and stuff. And believe me, I'm pretty sure my comments went straight from. you know, calling them, you know, UNC or Chapel Hill or that Carolina, I usually start referring to them as the wine and cheese crowd. <laughs> um, so, you know, and like I said, I mean, just I think even I didn't have a great appreciation of how passionate the fans were and how, you know, how much this team is loved and university is loved by, you know, the people in the state and the people that do love South Carolina. And, uh, you know, it is, it's, it's it's crazy just to kind of reflect upon those things. And, you know, I, I, again, I can remember the first time, you know, running out of the tunnel and stuff and just seeing a slam packed house, you know, in 2002 to against New Mexico state, you know, it was just, it's crazy how that time flies from the moment you being in the stands being recruited by a program to the moment you got the Jersey on, you know, butterflies, adrenaline ready to roll. And now you're, you know, you're representing your university and representing your, uh, your your team on the field for sure so great that's you bring up a great point for those that will never get that opportunity to like you just described run out of the tunnel 2001 your first time ever you mentioned 2002 against new mexico state describe to mm-hmm. us those who will never get that opportunity what that feels like i mean you know i think that's even as much as i'm trying to think even i was at a party not long ago um I know what it was. I was actually listening to the uh, Final Four game on the radio in my car um, against, uh, I think it was the Auburn game. Um, I think it was the Auburn-Virginia, I think. But yeah. just hearing the end of the game and just how passionate that, you know, you could just hear the crowd and the energy from the radio and stuff. But, like, you know, it just it, – it's hard to put into words, you know, the feelings and things like that that you, that you were able to experience being a player, being able to compete at that level and stuff like that. But, I, I mean – like literally, I mean, I, I was the third string tight end against New Mexico State and stuff. And like, sure enough, I don't know if it was the first or second drive in which we scored a touchdown on, but Hart uh, Turner had his jersey torn. So I remember, like, I was the next tight end up. You know, we had that old T formation, and you know, I, I was the next guy up. So I mean, I, I just remember even getting on the field, and I mean, it was for one play, but I remember, like, I literally felt like I was floating. You know, your adrenaline's pumping so much, you know, all these dreams, these aspirations, the you know, the things that you do alone by yourself just because, you know, the goals in which you have in your head and what you want to achieve, you know, it comes to fruition. You know, now you're on that field. Now you're in front of 82,000 people. You know, it's, you know, it's everything that you've worked for. You know, it was the, you know, that first, that first chance of being out there and stuff. And, um, you know, I, and obviously, I mean, it's a, it's a completely different ball game. <laughs> I mean, coming from high school, no matter where you come from, to the to the collegiate level and stuff, and uh, you know, so much of it just has to go into that the attention to detail. You know, just from 
you know, aspects from high school where it's, you know, looking at tendencies of guys that are heavy on their hands or leaning, looking away in which they're going to be blocking to, you know, even the aspect now that if you take a six inch step, you can, you know, complete the block. But if you take a 12 inch step, you know, you could overstep and not complete your block. You know, it's just, it's a very, it's the game within the game, the game of inches just as much as the ball moving, you know, down the field. But um, like I said, I mean, I, I honestly, I mean, it's just, uh, you, you definitely, you definitely, you know, think about that times too, just all the, you know, crazy places I got to play and some of the bigger games and stuff I got to participate in and the ones I missed, you know, due to injury, you know, and I think a lot of that stuff even ha- helped me motivate me even, you know, in some depressing times and all that stuff too with the injuries that I had, you know, just that's what helped drive me through to get back on the field to, you know, continue to prove that I could play at that level. Without a doubt. I definitely want to get into the injuries, obviously a huge, huge part of your career in college. I want to go back there to you take a look at your recruiting profile. You're listed as a defensive end. Um, Talk about were you recruited to play defense by Lou Holtz and staff? Were you always, was the plan always for you to be a tight end? What was that process like? You know, I, I, I honestly, I mean, they, you know, they even considered me on both sides of the ball. I think I went on the defensive side of the ball maybe one day during like freshman camp because my first year was the last year that they actually had the full two a days. Mm-hmm. I think it was like pretty much 19 days of two a days. The freshman class came in for the first two days and then all the older guys came in for those next 17. Um, but I mean, I honest to goodness, I mean, I tell people, I'm like, I realized real quick, just as much as I could cover a field sideline to sideline playing linebacker and just, you know, having the smarts for the game and stuff like that. I realized real quickly why I belonged on, on offense, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and a lot of it was just more of, I think in even certain aspects of where I could see time on the field and looking to where I could, you know, have a contribution to the team early on. And, uh, you know, but I mean, honest to goodness, I mean, I wouldn't turn it for the world. I mean, my, you know, my, my, my coach I had in my first year with, uh, was coach Gooch. And, uh, you know, the, I only got to be, you know, I was only fortunate enough to be coached by him for about six months um, before, you know, the kind of the coaching shuffle started and him getting moved to complete O-line and then Skip coming to tight ends. But the amount of football I learned, you know, from that man alone was, you know, forever grateful. I mean, just his attention to detail and his knowledge of the game, you know, just able to reflect it upon the players in which he coached you know, was just reflective enough. And, I mean, that had a huge impact on me and just understanding of how the game's just so much different on that level. Um, But, again, I mean, it's a – it really is. It's very fortunate, you know, in that aspect and stuff, too, to have great coaches and stuff to learn all different aspects of the game from. Absolutely. So, I want to jump ahead a little bit. Obviously, you go through 2002, 2003 – um, everyone that's been in this era that you were in, Andy, I, I want to ask about 2004. I want to jump ahead to, cause I want to talk about the South Carolina sure. Clemson rivalry. Obviously you faced oh, off yeah. a ton against those guys. Obviously, you know, the meaning of that game, but the 2004 sure. game specifically was one that people will never forget for all the wrong reasons. I was actually reading an article about it before we just jumped on. And there was a quote from you sure. talking about the brawl. You talked about quote, the refs didn't control the game. You're talking about the cheap shots yeah. in the game, stuff like that. Um, yep. Just talk about, I guess, first off, your memories from the Carolina Clemson rivalry. Obviously, you were able to get a win against those guys in 2006. Yeah, no, from the rivalry and the 2004 game, specifically, what you remember from the brawl? 
Yeah, I mean, as far as just even the rivalry, again, just I think it's just even with Malt Origin growing up as a North Carolina Duke fan. And, again, it wasn't like the local Lincoln Financial Jefferson Pilot game of the week was always a South Carolina game. You know, it was always either NC State, Chapel Hill, any. So the rivalry between South Carolina and Clemson, I never had a great grasp of until I got here. And, you know, one of the things I know Lou Holtz always made all freshman players, all newcomers to the team do, is we had to take a a rivalry test like it was a clemson south carolina rivalry like test you know and that was pretty much what it was is you know you were given kind of stuff you know telling you about you know significant dates or significant games within the rivalry things like that and like one of his deals was like you don't pass you don't get you know so believe me i took it as serious as i could be believe me trying to play i had to make sure i had to pass that thing to go up to to be able to play in that game and you know the first game that i got to play in was the hundredth game it was the hundredth rivalry game up in Clemson and stuff and I think honestly that was kind of that's what really kind of encapsulated with me of you know the importance of the rivalry and what it means to the people that played on that team and you know my my freshman year team I mean we we still had a load of talent and it was just it was just a weird year how just like things just didn't go our way you know it was just mistakes I mean from, you know, the Georgia game to, you know, the Virginia game, all these games we easily sort of won. And, you know, we just ended up on the wrong side of the, the scoreboard and stuff. But with Clemson and stuff, I, I mean, I'll never forget. I mean, seeing after the game, you know, if we would have won that game, we would have been bowl eligible, go to a bowl game. We didn't win the game. And just seeing, you know, the heartache and heartbreak, you know, from the guys that, you know, your, your teammates with. you know, And most of them, that was the last football game they ever got to play. And it was the same with me. I mean, the last game I ever got to play was against Clemson. You know, so I think even after that first year was just that real register of the importance of why this game means so much to so many people. And believe me, to beat them, to beat them up there, the way we beat them, I mean, made it that much sweeter. Um, but the 2004 game, yeah, I mean, it was yeah, – again, I, I know – I know we had some teammates and stuff and even some coaches and stuff that were just trying to get us riled up for that game that being a rivalry game. And, uh, you know, out the gate, I know we, believe me, I think we came out there and helped instigate, you know, the guys coming down the bottom of the hill and all that stuff. But you know, there was, there was just some cheap shots, you know, and the things that I remember, and on both sides. But even I tell people, I'm like, where that game got out of control, obviously right before the fight started was, I think it was like fourth and 17. Literally, it was like our last opportunity to even score to remain in the ball game. And again, it was a fourth and long. They get a sack, and one of the one of the players from Clemson, you know, had his hands inside the face mask of Savelle while Savelle was on the ground, and O lineman doing what O lineman do, seeing that the quarterback is being you know, hustled and roughed up like that, they took action. Well, with it being fourth and 13 like it is near the end of the ball game, obviously, again, this was the last possession for us to kind of really make that charge and win the game. Well, you already got 22 dudes on the field. Clemson's offensive guys are running on the field. Our defensive guys are running on the field. All of a sudden, there's 44 dudes. And as soon as that thing just kind of took off, it took off. You know, and I, I, and I don't know how many people even realize what happened the night before that game. Before that game, it was Detroit Pistons and Indiana Pacers, and that's when Ron Artest found his way into the to the uh, to the stands and was throwing punches on you know fans and stuff. So 
and that was all that was posted on the news, you know, all the night before, but, you know, didn't make an excuse of it and stuff of itself. But I mean, it was, it was, it was crazy. I'm, I'm, you know, I think even one of our assistant coaches had one of the state patrolmen's jacked up because they put their hands on coach Holtz, you know, coach Holtz was out there trying to break it up, you know? And I mean, it's just, I, 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 again, just the tempered of emotions and, you know, everything just kind of got out of control. Um, but, you know, I think, like I said, we, we, we made it out of there. Obviously we didn't make it out of there with a the win and stuff, but, uh, you know, even coming into that first year uh, with Spurrier and stuff, I mean, every year that he was there, really even up till um, till they went on the tear of winning five in a row, I mean, we should beat Clemson every year. I mean, we we just let opportunities go by. I mean, whether it was a missed field goal here, I mean, even I think our senior year, um, you know, we just didn't – we didn't convert, you know, just to kind of keep a drive alive to go down to win the ball game and stuff. So, um, but – you know, like I said, I mean, it's a it's a very entrenched, very very passionate rivalry and stuff. And you know, it's uh like I said, I mean, clearly right now they got the they they seem to have the upper hand right now. But I think a lot of it, man, it's all just you know your mentality between your ears. You know, anybody can be be beat any day. You know, but it, it's all about the dudes in the locker room sticking together to achieve that one goal, and that's win. Yeah, yeah, I was, you know, it's funny. I was talking to somebody about the rivalry a little bit ago, and I think you're definitely onto something with. I think the rivalry is very mental because it seemed to be very streaky, and not just in football, but every single sport. It's it's very weird how that sure. is. I, w- I want to go back to something though. You mentioned earlier, so you said that you guys were required to take a test on the Carolina Clemson rivalry. Is that right? Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, it, well, it was like you know, I, one of the brief questions I remember, and I, I sorry if I don't know the answers to it, but. Um, I think I think there was like two times within the rivalry, two or three times maybe that the game hadn't been played as scheduled during the year. Like one, I think it was when Kennedy was assassinated, um, and I think there was some during wartime, um, possibly back in the '40s and stuff. But like little things like that. But you know, just you know, just little things. I mean, like you know, I think even from from uh, I'm trying to think even. Yeah, like I said, I think it was like a, almost like a 25-question true-false type of thing. You know, he handed out something earlier in the week. And a lot of it, too, was just even because even with how the rules at the time, I think, was uh, between the non-conference game, you could only dress so many guys. Everybody else could be right. on the sideline with the jersey and stuff. So, you know, I think a lot more it was making an incentive to, you know, showing how important that this game is. And I'm, like I said, I mean, it, I, I, I saw – I think I, I remember being at the 2001 game when South Carolina beat Clemson with Woody Danzler and stuff like that. And um, like I said, then I got to be a part of the next nine pretty much, you know, being it from a player and then even from a coaching standpoint where being a GA even through those first three years of the five-year streak that we had. I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was good times right there. I mean, it really, really was and stuff. But, I mean, it, it, it is. I, all, all of sports is all between the years. You know, I mean, that's one of it's one of Lou Holt's sayings right there. I mean, everybody puts their, you know, puts their pants on the same every day, one leg at a time. You know, so there ain't there ain't no difference. It don't it don't matter the arena that you play in. A game's a game, and uh, you know, it's all about execution and all about doing your job to the best of your ability. And um, you know, but that's the team aspect of of football. You know, you got to do your job, and you got to trust your teammates going to do his job. No doubt. Yeah. And the reason I bring that up is because, you know, one of the big things when Steve Spurrier was hired is he talked about, uh, 
you know, the emphasis, I guess, placed on the Carolina-Clemson rivalry. And he thought it was, you know, too much, I guess you could say. I remember specifically mm-hmm. when he was hired, he ripped down the the beat Clemson posters all put, through, put sure. throughout the stadium. I mean, do you think there was almost too much emphasis put on the game? I mean, if they were making you guys take tests the week of the game and stuff? I mean, did, did, did you know, I – I think a lot of it has to even do just even overall with the, even the style of coaching, you know, and, and, and what I mean by that is just more of same thing, you know, who puts the emphasis on, on this to where Spurrier was more, I mean, literally, I mean, every game was treated the exact same way. You know, I mean, we had, I mean, I tell people, I'm like, from the time he came there to the time he left, I guarantee it was the exact same, the exact same uh, practice that he always had. You know, and it was just because it was just that's how he's always ran his, you know, his teams. And a lot of it was about trying to get as many reps as you possibly can. You know, the more plays that we can get in, you know, the more reps everyone's getting. You know, the, the, the finer that we are to where, you know, so much even with Coach Holtz, his biggest thing was about it, it was the fundamentals, the foundation of the game. The small things make the big picture whole. You know what I mean? So there was the emphasis more on the details, doing your job, doing your job the right way. What's important now? You know, when all the all the middle stuff, you know, to help drive and direct you towards a goal setting. You know what I mean? To where, I mean, literally, like Coach Berger came in, and I mean, just the just his approach being completely different of just like, all right, we're going to break up. You know, here we go. All right, ready, break and break up. And I mean, it was just let's get in, get out, let's take care of business of what we need to do and, you know, go on about our day. But in my sense of it, it was acting professional in that way. You know, we're not coming here to kind of waste time, waste time doing other things. It was more of like, we're coming in, we're here to do reps, we're here to do our job, our work, get out and get home. You know, but I think a lot of it too was just even not having that overbearing stress that you know you have to be perfect every play like you've got to play loose that's the only way you're going to be able to play and be successful everybody wants to be great everybody wants to succeed you know what I mean but you got to play within yourself and you got to play relaxed you know and I think a lot of that comes again with the confidence you know what each individual person has to be able to go out there and execute because if they can't go out there and execute we need to get the next guy the opportunity and in my opinion, you know, that was what Coach Spurrier, you know, I appreciate more from than anything was he always put the best player on the field, in my opinion. You know, if you weren't cutting the job and it didn't matter if you were a freshman or senior, the best person got on the field, especially during my time of being there. And, I, you know, I think it just all it, it kept everybody on their toes. You know, you had to continually prove yourself. No doubt. So you went obviously from one Hall of Famer to another as far as coaches from Lou Holtz to Steve Spurrier. Sure. Um, obviously, I know as a player, you know, you, you recruited by the staff, you build a relationship mm-hmm. with Lou Holtz, with your head coach. Um, he steps down, but then Steve Spurrier is hired, obviously comes in with all the accolades, offensive genius, all that good stuff. Sure. Talk about your feelings when all that went down, when Holtz stepped down and Spurrier was hired, and what were your first interactions with Steve Spurrier like? Um, I think, uh, I mean, to me, I think the first time we met with Coach Spurrier was actually, uh, I guess, which is now, I could be wrong about this, but it used to be the old, like, team meeting room underneath Williams Bryce. And, uh, you know, kind of what he did, I know there were several guys in there from, um, I think Troy Williamson was still part of that because I know he was kind of on the fence of whether he was going to stay there or go pro and stuff. And he ended up going pro. Um, but, again, I mean, Coach Spurrier, he just kind of came in and introduced himself, you know, 
you know, it wasn't a big hoorah and all this stuff. It was just more or less like, you know, we're, we're coming here. You know, we're going to – this was like kind of right there at Christmas break, you know, during that whole bowl season. So he and the coaching staff obviously had to hit the trail hard recruiting, but also, too, did a lot of the evaluation uh, of all the old game film and stuff. And, um, again, to me, with, with Coach Spurrier coming in, it was just like a clean slate. You know, what happened in the past didn't matter. And I mean, even, you know, one of the first acknowledgments Coach Spurrier gave me was the very first meeting that we had back. You know, he was like, yeah, we watched all the film, you know, saw some good things. You know, a lot of it's just more just seeing what we have to work with, you know, what players give effort, which ones don't. And I think he recognized, and he recognized me in front of the team as being one of those guys. And at least, you know, within the self, you know, confidence, you're, you're giving yourself that validation of all the hard work you're putting and all the sacrifices that you're making to succeed, to play, you know, to be on the field and, you know, that be one of 11 dudes to have your name called out. Um, but to me, like I said, I mean, with Spurrier, it just, it just became a clean slate. It was, a, it was a, a positive atmosphere. It was a loose atmosphere. And obviously with the opportunity to come in there and, uh, you know, now that, have the opportunity to be throwing the ball more, you know, I mean, that was an opportunity as far as just even being the position that I was in. And, uh, you know, like I said, I mean, it just even being introduced to his offense, I mean, what he did, I mean, he pretty much had the entire offense in there. And what we ended up watching was a cut up of the, uh, I think it was the 96 team. Was it the 96 team that he won the national championship? Yeah. Yeah, so he had a cut-up of, like, every single touchdown that they threw that year. And they used to cut up some points, you know. But it was just seeing all the plays, which we still run, or, you know, that we, we ran down. Even I told Jen, even while the uh, that Alliance Football League was going on, I was like, they're exact same plays I ran. <laughs> I mean, half the time, I, he was making the same calls. He was making the same signals, all that stuff. And, I mean, it was – it was an awesome offense to play in. It really, really was. And, uh, you know, it, it just, uh, I think, again, the change of pace, just the time. And I think even some, too, it's just even terminology of stuff. You know, I think everyone's different and just how things eventually click. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like I said, I mean, I, there's great aspects of both, you know, that, I, I, that I've taken tremendously. I, I am I'm super thankful I learned to play you know, under Holtz, you know, with the fundamental coaches and stuff that I had too, because a lot of that was more in a run blocking type of offense. You know, we were, we were lighter tackles on the end of the line of scrimmage. You know, we, we, we assisted more in the blocking than anything under Lou Holtz. You know, it was just more of a ball control type of offense. You know, rely heavily on the defense, stopping the ball, us methodically moving the ball to, you know, score points, not high scoring games to where all of a sudden you get with Spurrier and it is, you know, hurry up offense, spreading it around, throwing the ball around. And, uh, you know, even with the coaches and stuff, I mean, Coach Stock still was the first coach I had even outside with Coach Spurrier being there. And, I mean, just having him and him being a receivers coach for decades, you know. And the next year, you know, he ended up going up to Middle Tennessee State where he's continued to be and stuff. And But just, you know, I think, like I said, in the five – I think the six years that I played, I had five different coaches at my position. So, I mean, a lot of it, you know, I've taken the, you know, positives from each one of them. Others, you know, other stuff that just didn't work for me. You know, I just, it, it didn't become part of my repertoire and stuff. But, um, you know, learned a ton, you know, obviously 
getting involved with the pass running or the passing scheme and all that stuff too. And uh, it was fun. Like I said, I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Believe me, I, there, there was nothing. I always enjoyed being split out wide and them throwing little bubble screens and wide receiver <laughs> screens and stuff. Because most, uh, you know, most safeties and stuff don't tend to tend to and DBs tend not to do well against 260, 70 pound tight ends. <laughs> no doubt. So, yeah, it's funny you mentioned, you know, you talk with Spurrier, you, you plan, you know, obviously I know as, as an offensive guy being a tight end, you're very excited to get the ball more. I mean, you definitely did just that. The first game of the Spurrier era, I was actually, it's funny, I was at that one, not to make you feel old, but I was a freshman in high school at that oh, game. Oh, no. No, <laughs> not. Oh, nice. Not, yeah, nice. I was at, but I was at that that game. Obviously, the buzz around South Carolina was insane. Thursday night gaming at UCF, everybody's jacked sure. up. You catch a touchdown in that game. I know you had to be very, very excited for that. Um, but that 2005 oh, season was sort of when the the injury bug, I guess, started to hit you. You played in just two games that year. Um, yeah, remind me, well, remind everybody else what the injury was and just kind of the battle back from that. Sure, sure. No, I well, I mean, it actually started. You know, my so my freshman year, pretty much true freshman, played special teams sparingly near the end of the year, started getting kind of like second team reps um, at the tight end position. But, you know, kind of secured the second team uh, tight end position that spring, 2003, going into fall camp. Literally, we were like the third day in the camp, and I think I was going against Dante Robinson, and it was purely on air. You know, no contact, no nothing, and I was going to run like an out route, and I planted my in, my right leg inside leg, and I went to go out. My leg decided to go straight forward. I tore my ACL there. Mm. So I pretty much spent the entire 2003 football season just kind of, you know, by myself. And, you know, the worst injury I ever had growing up was about a sprained ankle. You know, so going from, you know, something that may be hampering, you know, where it may sideline you for a couple weeks or – something like that to all of a sudden you can't you can't play sports you have to pretty much learn to do everything again once you have this ACL repaired for six to seven months you know it it, it challenged all parts of it you know I mean just from the mental aspect of it and stuff because there's a lot of times that you were doing things on your own and you know you, you kind of you don't go ostracized but in the same sense it's during the middle of the season you know you're you're kind of focused on trying to get back healthy as quick as you can but you know, at times, too, when you're not part of that day-in-out day operation as far as being at practice and going to, you know, going to games and all that stuff, I mean, it was it was tough, especially for, a, you know, a 19-year-old kid. And uh, But, again, same thing. You find your things that motivate you and, you know, come back 2004, second-string tight end, played predominantly throughout that year. And I was actually that, – that was the first year I actually caught my first touchdown stuff against Old Miss. Um, but then, yeah, 2005 came and, um, you know, earned the starting position, you know, was going great. And then against Georgia, um, I was just kind of in a pass set and stuff. And, uh, DN just kind of got in on my chest and I went to, uh, reset my hand. So when I went to reset my feet, when I kicked my leg back, my cleat just, I mean, just caught the grass and it, uh, it caught my knee and hyperextended my knee. And, uh, you know, I tried to rehab for four weeks um, and trying to play because even after they had the MRI, they, the doctors told me, you know, you could see you could see that the ACL was torn, but with it already being a, re, you know, a, a, 
paired ACL just by the blood flow and stuff, they were like, we can't tell you if it's like 80% torn or 20% torn. So that was the whole reason of trying to rehab act come to play. Well, finally, after about that fourth week, knee just kept giving out on me on certain things. Finally went in just to hopefully just to get it scoped. And when they went in there, they said there was, you know, a handful of fibers holding my ACL together. So ended up getting, uh, getting that knee, uh, ACL repair because I actually, the, the day after I had that surgery, I watched the floor. I watched, well, that's when we beat Florida at home. Mm. Well, South Carolina beat Florida back at home and stuff. And, uh, you know, yeah. And what a great thing to see, you know and I mean? And just to be a part of that, as far as just even being a part of the team and stuff, but also wanted to motivate myself to get back on the field to experience those wins, you know? And, uh, like I said, I mean, it was just that, that's just kind of what got me back. But, yeah, it's, it, it is a game of attrition. And I don't know if it was just due for the overall style of how I played or what, or just even genetics, you know. And uh, But, yeah, I had two ACL repairs. I had a labrum repair. I mean, I tell people, I mean, believe me, I think you could look at my medical folder over there and probably <laughs> write, a, write a medical book about it. Was there ever, you know, amidst all the injuries, was there ever any doubt in your mind, like maybe it's just time to hang up the cleats and give up football? Um, I honestly, that was, uh, you know, I know when, when, I mean, as soon as my, I hurt my knee the second time at Georgia, I mean, I told, I told Dr. Rod that I was like, I did it again. You know, it was like the first words out of my mouth. And, you know, my parents came and saw me um, in the training room and stuff down in Georgia and stuff. And, you know, there was, I mean, it was definitely questioned whether or not I could make it back or not because, uh, you know, I, a lot of it, I think to me in my mind, that was kind of it for me, especially going past college to play. Because, mm. um, I mean, even the last year that I played, I mean, again, I was 22, 23 at the time. And I'm getting up out of bed and sitting right back down, you know, just from being in pain. And a lot of it's just from, you know, from the knees, you know, hurting the back, the back and all that stuff too. But a lot of it, I mean, it, it definitely questioned whether or not it was worth continuing to pursue to finish out my career. But a lot of it was the whole reason I wanted to come back for a six year because I wanted to go out my way. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to complete a full, you know, complete those last two years. And, you know, I was granted and thankful enough to get that six year, um, you know, to continue to, to, you know, to contribute to the team and, you know, have another year to, again, just, just to go out the way I wanted to go out. And, uh, but it's, uh, and like I said, I'm, you know, I'm super thankful for it and stuff too. I mean, that, that senior, that last year I got to play, you know, as much as growing up a North Carolina fan, got to go up there and beat North Carolina at North Carolina, you know, get to have plenty of family and friends there for that game. And, uh, you know, but also too, you know, it it really enabled me to kind of, you know, being in that that seniority type of position to kind of teach those guys under me and stuff too. Try to help pass along the trade and all that stuff too, just the ins and outs of you know what made me successful and stuff. But it's uh, like I said, I mean, it, like I said, I really just it, it's it, it's been a whirlwind. There's no doubt about it. But I wouldn't change it for the world. No doubt. I have a question for you. Obviously, someone that's been through, you know, those injuries, especially, like you said, the severity of the injuries you dealt with with your legs, just for people that maybe have either never played sports or, you know, thankfully have been lucky and never gotten injured like you had. Sure. You know, just kind of explain to people the toughness you have to have to not just rehab from the injury. Obviously, that's tough, but 
to trust your body again to go out there and make those plays? Because I mean, sure. I know probably the first time you you cut or planted after that. I mean, it has to be in the back of your mind that this could happen again, right? I mean, sure. Oh yeah, no, I remember. I know that after the first time I heard it, I remember. I think it was either in that following spring or something. Yeah, the big thing it is. It's almost like a confidence thing that would build, but you almost. It's not that you're asking or needing something bad happened, but it's like it almost took a moment of like having my legs rolled up on, or you know, kind of going down awkwardly, and then being like, "Oh, I'm okay." You know, like, we're good, you know, and it's just, it it was the same thing. It was much of a confidence built, but I mean, the training staff, the doctors and stuff over there, I mean, you know, I, Dr. Guy, to me, put it a great way, you know, and just kind of really helped set my mindset even into the rehab and just understanding that, like, he's like, look, I'm going to go in, you know, do the operation, do this part, and then everything else is kind of on me. You know, I'm the one that's going to have to be there at six o'clock in the morning doing the rehab, ensuring that I'm staying on protocol, you know, keeping my flexion extension into the leg and all that stuff too. And being able to do all that work to try to come back as quick as possible. And, you know, just trusting those people to help guide you through that process. I mean, it's just much of a part of it as well. Um, But I mean, don't get me wrong. There's definitely peaks and valleys of it and stuff too, because at certain times through that rehab process, you're feeling like you're making great progress. And then there's like a plateau you know, where they kind of maintain you at a certain, certain stature for, you know, several weeks and stuff. So it becomes frustrating in that sense, but also to, um, you know, just entrusting the doctors that they're putting you in the best position so you can come back and be successful too. You know, at times where I would even feel like, oh, I can, you know, you can do more, you can do this, you can do this. And, you know, they're usually the ones holding you back, you know, just to try to ensure that you, that you're fully recovered, you're fully recouped and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, like I said, I as far as as far as you know, especially after that one knee injury, you know, wearing the brace and stuff, those Don George braces that we had on, I mean, are top of the line. I didn't really have any crazy much worry about that, but you know, obviously when it happened again and stuff, I mean, just the pain that I experienced, I just knew exactly what it was when it happened again. So, um, but really, like I said, I mean, for the most part of it, I mean, it, it, it's been a it, it, it's, you know, definitely as I've grown older, I can definitely tell the knee that got operated on twice. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. No doubt. So your career, you know, Andy, was a very interesting one in the sense statistically. Um, I believe there was at one point going or through 2006, you had four career catches. Three of them were touchdowns. Um, yep. And then you had a touchdown your senior year against Louisiana Lafayette as well. Just talk about, I mean, was there a point for you where you're thinking like every ball I catch, I'm going to score basically. Cause it, for, for a yeah, while, I know for South Carolina fans, it seemed that way. For sure. Oh no, it was just, you know, I don't know if they considered almost being like the trick play, you know, <laughs> like, Oh, this is the time to draw it out. You know, but no, I mean, the, um, you know, yeah. You know how that statistic happened, you know, don't know, but you know, I, a lot of it too. I know I call a few more balls my senior year and stuff and, um, you know, but I mean, I, I, I was also very aware of the reality too, that I had, you know, Jared Cook, who was a freshman at the time that could run a four five forty, you know, and just being the frame that he was and Wesley, Wesley was a super talented athlete as well. Um, you know, and uh, just the options that they were able to give us with being able to spread the field like they could, um, but a lot of an aspect though, too, wasn't, it wasn't trying to sell myself short either. Um, believe me, I, 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 I'm sure I can find plenty of 
film out there somewhere that shows me plenty wide open at plenty of times. <laughs> um, you know, it's just not getting the, not getting the opportunity to have the rock. But uh, again, believe me, if if there were things that, and that was fine, you know. Yes, I would love to have more catches and stuff, but believe me, I I, I knew I was good at blocking. I thrived at blocking. It was something I was passionate about, and I knew I was good at it. And you know, it was kind of just I was okay with having that persona being a, you know, a bad A when it came on the line of scrimmage and blocking people. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just kind of the something you had to have. Yeah, so it's funny you bring up, you know, you were, you were wide open a lot in your career. One play I want to talk about specifically is one that, uh, for, for whatever reason, I just really enjoy watching. It's almost kind of a funny play to me, and that's 2006 at yeah. Florida. Blake Mitchell rolls oh, out. Sure. You see it on the replay, but hits you. You're wide open. There's probably not literally anybody within 20 oh, yards yeah. of you. And then it's something that every time I watch the play makes me laugh is the safety comes over thinking he's about to make the tackle, and you just – Boop, yep. like he just bounces right yep. off of you. And I yep, think ruin that dream. Yeah, it was just awesome. It was just so funny <laughs> the way he bounces off of you. You get a 48 yard. Oh, no. Yeah, you know, honestly, like that. I mean, I get it. I, I Literally, that was my first catch of the season. And it was not a wrong move for them to schematically look at me and go, if he <laughs> is doing this, you play directly to the center of the field because they're going to be throwing the ball to Sidney Rice. And I mean, the thing is, when, even when I ran that route, as soon as I planted my foot and I went out to the outside, I saw Reggie Nelson go over to the center. I mean, I knew immediately I was wide open. And, you know, throwing my hands, I know it just took a moment to, you know, to find me and stuff and locate me. Yeah, but, you know, even I saw the guy coming out of the corner of my eye, and it was just, I was just wanting the opportunity. I was like, just give me an opportunity to catch the ball. Just give me an opportunity. But it just timed out perfectly. As soon as I called it, you know, I just, I threw my weight right into the dude and he hit a wall and somehow I was still standing. And, uh, you know, was able to stumble down for a few more yards and stuff. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you, I hate that we didn't win that game because, I mean, believe me, I probably out of all the games of my career all around, that was probably the best game I ever played. I mean, we were just – offense was clicking, defense was clicking. I mean, we had all control of that ball game. And, uh, you know, it's just unfortunate how it turned out and stuff. But, yeah, no, I – believe me, there, there's several blocks within that game if, if you ever watch a playback that are – I, I I dominate a lot of Florida Gators that game. <laughs> no, yeah, that that was definitely a game I know lives in my mind is a game that's, it, yeah, it's, it's a tough one. You just think Jarvis Moss, you say that name, and that that's that that yeah, man. memory comes up. It, it's hard not to sure that one, but uh, but yeah, no. So you, I mentioned Blake Mitchell. Obviously, you played with a ton of different quarterbacks throughout your career as well. I mean, you think sure. back against Savell Newton. Uh, probably Donald sure. Pinkins as well, Blake Mitchell, Chris yep. Smelly, um, I yep. think maybe some Tommy Beecher. I don't know if I, maybe a little early there. Yeah, but. Beecher Beecher played. He played a little bit my senior my senior year. I know against Middle Tennessee because I think he was a freshman that year. I think that's right because um and that was my fifth year before going into my sixth year. But I know because I, I know Corey Jenkins was pretty much started as our. My first year, and then Corey obviously late in the year got moved to defense, and I think Don Drell then kind of took over at that stand at, at that standpoint. Um, but then, uh, then you know Don Drell really then that next year, and Bennett that next year, then Don Drell the last year, two thousand four. Um, but then yeah, then it was like Blake Savelle, 
Uh, well, really, Savelle was 2004, too. That's when Savelle mm-hmm. put a lot of quarterback there. And just, you know, dynamic player, obviously, being that, you know, had a cannon for an arm, but just even his athleticism in the in the pocket and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we had Blake, and, you know, Blake was that pro-style quarterback that could see downfield. And, you know, believe me, Blake took a lot of shots those first couple of years and stuff, just, you know, even from, you know, blitzes and understanding the scheme and all that stuff too. And just even the guys that we had and all, but, you know, smelly, you know, smelly play. But I think that all even goes back to, you know, just coach Spurrier, you know, he was the person that if, if, if a guy wasn't cutting it, he wasn't afraid to throw the next guy in there. And, uh, you know, I think like and like I said, especially during my career and stuff. I mean, he wasn't afraid to change things up. And I mean, even during the times of them winning the national championship and the years leading up to that, I mean, he, he, people tune quarterbacks all the time. You know, and it just to me and my eyes, I think it just helps keep people sharp and it builds your depth. Absolutely. So, 2007, obviously, you know, you get the uh, the approval, I guess, or whatever from the NCAA. You come back for your sixth year, and I. I could be wrong, but I feel like this is before the time where that was, you know, maybe on social media now we just hear of everything that's going on. But that was something sure. I guess was more of a rarity, I guess you could say, as far as winning sure. the appeal and you getting that sixth year. Just talk about sure. that overall process. I'm sure that had to be a lot of suspense with you really not knowing if you were going to get your true senior year back. And it, once you found sure. out you were getting it, just what was that relief like for you? I mean, it, it really, I mean, uh, so much of it even – was a case even helped built by the university, even from the athletic, you know, the athletic training staff and stuff too. And, you know, I mean, I did things from, you know, pretty much helping document and show how much, you know, from the, every single day that I came into rehab, you know, just showing my commitment to try to get back to play. And, you know, it, I, I don't know all the criteria. All you can really do is try to build a case of showing why, which you think you should be awarded you know, that extra year, because I mean, you know, I'd hear things, um, you know, where, you know, a guy may injure his shoulder, you know, on the left side, but then the next year he might have like had a bad ankle sprain, ankle break, whatever. And those dudes won't get a six year. You know, I think it's almost, it used to be kind of like in a certain circumstances, like I tore my knee twice and not that they're looking at the statistics of it, but I know Dr. Guy, I'm pretty sure told me it's like a less than like a 5% that you tear or, you know, a, a, a knee, well, you know, once you put in a graph and stuff like that, you know, so from that happening and again, building a case, I mean, I wrote personal letters, just, you know, explaining why the facet of why I wanted this six year, why I believe I should have been awarded the six year. Um, and like I said, I mean, it was literally like you're building a case to prove every reason why you should be awarded it. And, uh, you know, we sent it off, I think kind of, Really, I don't even think we could really do it probably until like mid-year was when we finally sent it out and stuff. But I think we found out – I found out right before the ball game when we went up to Memphis, I found out that I was awarded the sixth year. And 100%, you know, having that relief, you know, great. I get to play college football one more year. I, I get to finish it like, you know, like I wanted to, like I was supposed to. and um, You know, and – just even the team that we had coming back for that next year was just even, you know, very, very encouraging and very, you know, something very positive to look forward to. So, I mean, it just, like I said, I mean, it was just, I, I don't think even at the time I can really reflect back on like how much I didn't, you know, trying to find out the news. It was just going to be kind of is what it is, but I knew I had a great case. I mean, I pulled my knee twice, 
insanely, you know, just the the time loss, you know, I mean, you're talking a year and a half, you know, of just time out not being able to play the sport. So, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not sure the 100% criteria where it's their checklist of, you know, this approves, this doesn't and stuff. But, uh, you know, was fortunate enough to get it, that's for sure. Yeah, and I was going to say you definitely made the most of it. Uh, you know, played in every single game that 2007 season. Had by far your most yep. catches, nine catches, 102 yards. Um, had a touchdown, like I mentioned, against Louisiana Lafayette in that first game. It's funny, and you look back at yep. your stats, I, I think you should just tell people you were just a big play threat because you averaged right at about 15 yards per catch and had four touchdowns. I think just label you as a big play tight end and uh, just stick with that. No questions asked. I mean, no doubt. I mean, that's the quality <laughs> average in my opinion. Yeah, 15 yards a catch. That's not bad at all. So, <laughs> obviously, like you mentioned, you know, after your playing days, you took over, got the, the opportunity on Coach Spurrier's stat to be a GA. and. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically one, you know, one article I was taking a look at, it's funny. Um, it's kind of ironic because the man that left Eric Wolford, who's now on staff for South Carolina, I know South Carolina fans are very much admired because he's doing a fantastic job of that offensive sure. line, a very highly regarded offensive line coach, but he left December of 2009, South Carolina is getting ready for the Papa John's bowl. And you get the opportunity to kind of take over, fill in his shoes to get ready for the bowl game sure. for his offensive line. Yeah. coach. Just Kind of talk about getting that opportunity and maybe what you learned and just kind of what that was like for you personally. I mean, I, I you know, I think a lot of it uh, that made it kind of an easier transition was, again, you kind of knew the – you knew the practice scheme in which we were going to be involved with every day, you know. So that wasn't anything to kind of worry about. I was already breaking down all the film kind of as a job as a graduate assistant to figure out tendencies and see what their top blitzes were and, things of that nature. So a lot of it was still just kind of doing repping the duties, you know, on both sides of the ball. And even though the, the guys that play with had, you know, they all had good respect for me. I mean, there was never any quarrels or things like that, that we had, but, you know, even going into that game, um, you know, I, I think we definitely took the approach. Obviously it was a, you know, miserably weathered game as far as I thought it was and all that stuff. Just didn't excuse the fact of, you know, kind of the performance. I mean, I know there were drop balls left and right, and, you know, in my opinion, and it just might be more me being a long coach and stuff or, a, you know, tight end that knew how to block really well was just not taking full advantage of even the running game during the time. Um, you know, I think we just tried to take too much of advantage of, you know, their weaknesses as being, you know, their, their defensive backs weren't, you know, as skilled or as good as, you know, what we've probably seen earlier that year. And just, you know, the game plan that we had in there was, you know, to try to go down there and spread the field, you know, throw a bunch of yards, throw a bunch of touchdowns and stuff like that. But it was, uh, you know, obviously it was definitely frustrating, definitely disheartening and stuff like that too, to take a trip, you know, down to Alabama and stuff like that. And to put a performance out like that's always, always, uh, you know, frustrating. There's no doubt about it and stuff because you know the work that goes into it and the guys that yeah put that effort into it too. So it's uh you know it's always the great questions and things like that that you try to figure out the correct uh you know to try and ensure it doesn't happen again. For sure. So again, a couple more years. Obviously, you were on staff with uh with Steve Spurrier at South Carolina. Obviously, mm-hmm. you mentioned you were part of the the first couple of games of the five game winning streak. Just specifically, what was the difference in the relationship, if there was any difference, the relationship with Steve Spurrier versus when you were a player versus when you were a coach? Was there any difference in the relationship at all? How how did that work out? No, I mean, Coach Spurrier is Coach Spurrier. 
you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, he, you know, the man, he just referred to himself as just a football coach, you know, half the time. And, but I mean, he had great confidence, obviously, in what he's built and what he's made and stuff like that. But I mean, to me, he always treated you as, you know, he always treated you the same, you know, player, coach, doesn't matter. You know, I think a lot of it too was just even, uh, really just trying to gain that knowledge, even, you know, being just the assistant coach at that position at the time as a graduate assistant under Coach Wolford and under Coach Elliott and stuff, just even, uh, you know, trying to gain the skills and knowledge from their, you know, their aspect of it stuff too. Because, I mean, there was a lot, you know, being the O-line coach and you got, you know, yeah, you got five O-linemen on the field, but there's, you know, there's really about 15 dudes, 20 dudes that you got to be responsible for. A lot of teaching. That's a lot of people, you know, and and the O-line play is often overlooked. You know, there's not about the only stat I would imagine that's probably kept on O-linemen outside of pancakes is how many sacks they've given up. You know, so I mean, a lot of them is it's a uh, it's a very unique position, and it's uh, it's an awesome position. Believe me, I mean, I, to see you know large human beings, big human beings like that move and be able to move them like they do, I mean, it's it's awesome. It's awesome to watch, and when you see the good ones do it, I mean, it's it's something to see. But you know, it, it really was a uh, it was a great experience. A lot of it was again during my time. It was breaking down film. Usually, we were always you know, a week ahead, you know, so our, our jobs are to break down the film, to have statistics ready, tendencies, formations, blitzes, all that other aspect of it, you know, ready to go. And, uh, but again, I mean, under Coach Spurrier, I mean, uh, he was a man that always treated you with great respect. And again, he always just treated you as an equal, you know, it was never a, you know, a thought, you know, authoritarian type of dictatorship or anything like that. I mean, he always interacted with everyone well and, you know, believe me, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time there. For sure. So you mentioned, I think it's interesting, you mentioned, you know, obviously watching great tight ends and things of that nature. I think it's very, you know, South Carolina's had, you mentioned already some of your previous teammates had a ton of good tight ends come in. You think of yourself, sure. Jared Cook, Wes Saunders. You know, we just had sure. a conversation with Busta Anderson, Justice Cunningham. Yep. Now, yep. Uh, you know, Keel Pollard is on the team. I think he's got the chance yes. to be a really, really good tight end for South Carolina. Yes. I mean, is, is it something about the Gamecocks that attracts these these top level tight ends? Do you think it was the the offensive scheme with Steve Spurrier that kind of got that going? I mean, because it's it's been very very fun to watch these big guys come through. And I mean, they, sure. They, they oh no, I mean, well. I, I mean, I remember listening to I can't remember the coach's name. He was the, he was the tight ends coach up at UNC when I was coming through as far as being recruited by them. But at the time, Algie Crumpler was the tight end up at. UNC and you know he had a 10 you know 10 plus year career in the NFL and all that stuff but the, their, that coach may always made a comment he was just like the tight end is the second best athlete on the field and like you start thinking about it and it's something it's true you kind of take pride in it that guess what I mean you have to know as much as a quarterback got to know running schemes got to know pass routes you got to know coverages just as much as a quarterback Plus, you got to be able to block. Plus, you got to be able to go out and receive and catch balls. So, I mean, you've got to be a pretty darn good, skilled player to be on that side of the ball. And even as time has gone on, to me, in my opinion, the tight end is pretty much like the defensive end of the offense. You got a good tight end. That's that is something that's a deadly weapon. You know, it's hard to match up against them, and you know, you can take advantage of people when you have a very good tight end. I mean, Hayden Hurst. I mean, goodness gracious. 
I mean, that kid is, you know, something else. But even Jared, I remember even after I got done, I think Jared had something like a 50 or 60-yard touchdown against Arkansas when we played in the outback ball that one year. And, I mean, seeing that dude, I think he covered like 20 yards in like four steps. Like, no joke. It was like the craziest thing I remember seeing on film just of just how athletic they are. And, I mean, even Wesley. I remember seeing Wesley for the first time and how big he was. I mean, he moved like a wide receiver. I mean, he honestly, just the athleticism and stuff that some of these guys have in that position can really be utilized and really you can exploit defenses when you find them like that. And I was telling somebody, I was like, my freshman year, we played against Jason Litton, who I think had like 12 or 13 catches against us, and like seven of them were for first downs. Then Benjamin Watson played for Georgia. Then um, who was the other one? Oh, Heath Miller played again. Was playing for Virginia. He was a true freshman at the time, same as I was. Um, and then later on, even Leonard Pope with Georgia. And oh, I cannot think of that guy's name. I was thinking about the other day the dude that played for Kentucky. Played for Denver. It was a what's his last name? Tammy maybe or Tony yeah, something Jacob like that. Yeah, Jacob Tammy, I think. Jacob Tammy. Jacob Tammy. Yeah, I mean it. You know, it's seen great athleticism across the board and stuff, but uh. No, I mean, there was always a stadium that we always broke down on, you know, as tight ends and stuff. We always said tight end to win. You know, that was one of our core sayings. And then we always said, why not why? You know, because using tight ends the why, why on the drawing board up there, you know, during the spur years. So that was the other one that we started doing was why not why? You know, so it was just, uh, you know, I, I think it's just even a camaraderie thing right there. And, I mean, to me, the the success of being able to play, to be able to play on that level is you got to watch the guys in front of you. And, you know, being as I was coming through, I mean, the two guys that I got to watch a lot of and that played a lot and they were very successful, it was Rod Trafford and Hart Turner. And you watch these guys, you know, day in and day out. You watch them on film, you watch them in game time and see the things that they do and that they do well. You know, that's what you got to try to mimic. You know, and you try to you try to do those things and try to perfect your craft in that way. And, um, you know, when Spurrier got there and stuff, too, I mean, even Carson, Carson Askins, even when I got hurt, I mean, he did a fantastic job of coming in and filling that role. And from even that aspect, a lot of it, that's where the abilities that people like Jared, that people like Wesley had, it was just I had the great understanding of it. I just didn't have all the athleticism in the world to exploit it like they did. You know, but I mean, all you can do is help direct and teach people and help show them the way, you know, and hopefully they're going to be the sponges to soak it in. Um, but I mean, believe me, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, there's been a lot of great tight ends that have come through Carolina and stuff. And it's, uh, you know, it's, 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 I believe me, I'm, I'm happy that I've played there and played as a tight end and stuff. I think it's a, uh, it's an awesome group to be a part of. And it's, uh, you know, it's something that they should take pride in. No doubt. So, you know, we've had a ton of different guys on on this show, definitely from the Spurrier era as well, talk about um, the horrors of the film room, I guess, whenever you mess up. Was there ever a time with Steve Spurrier where, you know, y- you did something on the field or any time oh, where sure. Steve Spurrier kind of got under your – tried to get under your skin a little bit? Oh, sure. No, the, the, worst, the, the worst one with Spurrier was, was always he asked the question, why? You know, like there was like one of mine, I I think I was like trying to, you know, I was just a super intense harp coming off the ball and some DN juked the heck out of me and I straight whiffed. You know, even during those plays where you know you messed up and the thumb was going 
back and forth between reverse and play, reverse and play. You're just seeing, you're just like, oh my God, just go to the next play, go to the next play, go to the next play, go to the next play. And sure enough, he sees you and he's like, Andy, why'd you do that? And you're like, I, I, I don't know why I did that. I tried blocking, <laughs> you know, like you, sending you a question. And believe me, the quarterback cut it the worst. You know, those guys, I mean, he, he spent day in, day out with those dudes. Uh, you know, chewing on their ear. But now, probably the worst one that Spurrier got me was this was actually after I got done playing. So this was like 2008, my first year as a GA. Um, I was primarily in the weight room and stuff. But during the time, I'd go up there and just watch film. You know, just kind of watch it. And like the very first, I mean, literally, I don't know if it was spring or if it was fall, but he was like, "Yep." So we made a cut up of all these, you know, all these dumb plays that we've made over the past year. And pretty much what it was, it was a cut up of just, you know, people making a bunch of mental errors. And there was one of me, and I mean, I can remember to this day, it was us playing Arkansas at Arkansas with, when they had Darren McFadden and Felix Jones and whoever the other fullback that they had. But, um, you know, I, there was a play called Lefty, and, or actually it was called Righty out of the huddle. Blake checked at the lefty, and I mean, I knew exactly what to run. I was supposed to run the corner. And honest to goodness, he would have thrown me the damn ball. But what ended up happening, I ran the damn post route instead of a corner route. And sure enough, I'm not even playing anymore, and that film is up there. And he's like, who is, who is this running this route? Who is this? Andy, is that you? Yes, sir. Why'd you do, like, why are you doing that? And I'm like, I'm not even playing anymore. <laughs> he's sitting there busting my chops. <laughs> In front of everybody else, I ain't not playing anymore. I don't know why I did that, Coach. Hell, I had a blame for it. I don't know. You know, but, I mean, it, it like, to me, it was still, you know, even – I think a lot of it's just, I mean, you got to develop thick skin. you got to take stuff with a grain of salt. You know, it's not it – ain't, it ain't personal. It's to get us better. It's to get the whole unit better, you know. And, I mean, even with some of the kids that I coach and – you know, they were fortunate enough to have the abilities to go play on at the D1 level and stuff. And, I mean, you've got to have that mentality of, like, look, like, believe me, I have great friendships and great relationships with the people that I was fortunate enough to play with. But it was making an understanding, too, that when Saturday comes, there's only 11 people that are going to be able to start at a time. And so do you want your name being called or do you want your buddy's name being called? You know what I mean? I mean, it, it's competition. And, you know, that's just kind of the mentality that you had to have. But I think a lot of that was even developed within me and myself, even going through the whole stuff, honest to goodness. I mean, that was, that was his MO was mental. He was, he played mental games with you. You know, he always makes sure you're on your toes, but I mean, it, it has allowed me to grow in a way, even as a man to, you know, even in my profession of, you know, where can we get better? You know, what can we do better? You know, what, what are, what are the checks and balances we need to check within ourselves to you know, make sure we're doing all the right things to be the best that we can be? And, uh, you know, I think that's just a lot of it that you just have to understand about the game, you know, and uh, you, just, you, can't, you can't take any, you know, there's no, there's no reason to take chances. You know, you've got to go to class, go to class, be a good person, you know, be respectful to people. You know, and, uh, you know, be appreciative of people's time, you know, even with even in the sense of talking to me. I mean, even from, uh, you know, this conversation, yeah, believe me, I'm, I'm so appreciative of it. And even when people are, you know, I'm out and about and people recognize who I am, I, you know, that, that thrills me. 
believe me, I know I wasn't a marquee guy that was on a poster or anything like that, but for people to like come up to me to tell me thank you and appreciate the way you played and how you played and all that stuff, I mean, shoot, that makes me beam more than anything. You know, so it's just uh like like I said, it's a it's a ton to be grateful for. You know, I'm forever grateful, you know, to South Carolina and the time I got to spend here and what I was able to achieve and do and uh you know, even pass on, like I said, just to the next generation of alumni. No doubt. Yeah, that's certainly awesome. It's great to hear as far as people recognizing you out, stuff like that. You mentioned it's funny, uh, you know, both I think something that's very uh, similar with Coach Holtz and Coach Spurrier, both people love to mimic their 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 accents, the way they talk, just kind of their oh, mannerism. Goodness. With Coach Holtz, sure. though, with Coach Holtz, I guess, I'll ask the same question I asked about Coach Spurrier. I can imagine sure. coming in as a true freshman, he probably tried to rip you a new one and kind of welcome you to oh, D1 yeah. college football. That, what, what were the interactions? Oh, like for sure. I think the first thing he ever said to me on the football field was during um, – so one of the things we did, like starting, this was during camp, was like we would do like a mini county fair, um, you know, and you kind of travel by your position group. And my first year, Gooch had uh, tackles and tight ends and stuff. Well, one of the drills that we did was a face in drill. Well, all the face in drill is is pretty much getting your hat, hat and hands inside on the defender. And it's not so much like a bull in the ring thing. It's not like you're sitting here, you know five and ten yards apart i mean this is like a tight circle within like a six foot circle and you're just sitting there putting your hands and head under you know you're trying to get to their chest plate that's kind of the goal and dropping your hips and learning to explode out and stuff and you know first time kind of doing it doing it doing it doing it and all of a sudden like stuff stops i turn around and lou holtz lives there and he goes hey andrew hey andrew because your ass better square up and hit somebody before i kick you square in the nuts and i was just like sold like okay like <laughs> want to get the most effort out of me you know and then like probably the best story i have of his is this was golly this was near the end of the season of my freshman year i was third string tight end and for i'm not joking you half the time i was watching practice more through those first you know four days of the week usually the first three days of the week i would be lucky if i got five reps throughout the week and I mean that in the sense of, like, team aspect. You know, when the team's getting ready, and people just have to understand, the ones and the twos got to get the most reps anyway. So they're going to be the ones that are going to be more likely to play. That guy goes down, next guy's got to be ready. So a lot of the times I'm back there getting mental reps, mental reps, mental reps. Well, you know, I get thrown in for a play. We're, like, practicing goal line stuff or inside the 10-yard line. And, you know, down to HUD, it was like a, a – a zone play opposite of him. And I'm like the backside tiny end, so I lock up with the defender. Well, he kind of relaxes. Well, it then in calls, teaches me to relax. So I kind of relax. Well, next thing I know, he sets me and makes the block and makes the play. Well, and I mean, literally, this is the first rep I've had like all week, and this is like Thursday. Next thing I know, practice pretty much stops. Coach Holtz is blowing up on me. He's like, hey, Andrew, hey, Andrew. Get your ass on scout team. Well, to me, only playing like less than five reps a week, I was like, shoot, I could go down here and play a lot. So I'm just, you know, I'm running down to a scout team. Like, all right, like we get to go through a bunch of reps. So I get about halfway across the field, and our weight coach, Pat Moore at the time, was like waving his hands like, hey, hey. And I'm like, look at him like, what, 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 what? When I turn around, practice is practically stopped on both fields because Lou Holtz is yelling so loud at me. And I just didn't hear him. So 
So I like turn around and look at him. He's like, hey, Andrew. Hey, Andrew. All your ass cares about swear the jersey on Saturday. So you could run around the toe and say, hey, Ma, look at me. Take a picture. And I was like, you know, this is in front of all of your teammates. You're sitting out in the middle of nowhere just being exposed like that. And people are like, what would you do? And I'm like, what would you expect me to do? What am I going to do? Take after him? Nope. Just turn around, went right back on to the scout team. But the thing was, though, too, was after that, obviously you walk into the locker room and everybody, your teammates have heard that. And as soon as you walk into the locker room, there's about 100, Andrew, Andrew. So he definitely, uh, he definitely taught me a for sure life lesson on that one. And that was never to have my guard down. And, uh, you know, there were many, many times that even during the spurrier era where people were, uh, he's like, God, you, you know, you're going too hard. Like, stop going so hard. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. Like, you're not going to make me look like a fool. You know what I mean? Like, I, always having my guard up. I'm always ready to roll, you know. So it was just, it was something, honestly, I mean, it was a great lesson that I learned. You know, just don't take stuff for granted. You know, don't take the rep for granted. Don't take the opportunity for granted. And, uh, you know, it's funny and as hilarious as it was that I got picked on that way. Again, the, it, it definitely drove home the uh, life experience learned from it. For sure. So I want to jump ahead to current day South Carolina Gamecocks football. Um, obviously, 2015, sure. Thies Furrier steps down. Will Muschamp takes over now going into what is his fourth year as South Carolina head coach. I know you went back there and were in the uh, one of the alumni games. I forget it specifically sure. which year it was. But I just want you to talk specifically on, you know, I know Will Muschamp has made it a huge focus to get the alumni involved, get you guys back sure. on campus, you know, have that relationship. And I think it's certainly already – paying off major dividends. I just think it's, you know, I, I think personally it's really important, which is one reason I always have oh. guests on my show. It's important to remember where you came from. You can't – I, I oh, fully believe you can't move forward if you don't recognize where you came from. But I guess just from your perspective, talk about, you know, if you've had any interactions with Will Muschamp and, you know, your overall view of the South Carolina Gamecocks football program as it progresses under his leadership. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I you know, I've, I've, I haven't had the opportunity to really sit down with him and – talk to him by any means in that sense of it and stuff. And I mean, honestly, just, which I love that they actually practice early over there in the morning and stuff. Now I wish we would have done that when I was in school. Um, so, I mean, I, I haven't really gone to see a, you know, a full practice in action. And this, this past spring game was actually the first year that I've actually come back to participate in the, uh, the alumni game and all that stuff. And really this year I'm trying to make it more of a focal point to get back over there more often and, you know, living here, still in town and all that stuff. I mean, it's just, I, I need to do it. You know, I need to continue to develop those relationships and obviously, you know, just even meeting other people from all the different decades and years in which they play, you know, it's always a underlying connection in which you have. Uh, but I mean, honestly, being on the field this past year, being on that for the spring game, to me, in my eyes, that's the thing that and that I think that Coach Muschamp and his staff do a wonderful job, in my opinion, of is is the evaluation process and knowing what they're getting, knowing the type of athlete that they want, and knowing the type of athlete that they're going to be putting on the field. Um, I mean, me in my eyes, I mean, seeing all those dudes stretch this past year, it's hard pressed for me to think that I played on a team that was that well rounded top to bottom you know especially eye test wise because <laughs> those are 
some impressive athletes they have over there right now. And, you know, seeing those guys run around, seeing how those guys compete and seeing how those guys play, in my opinion, I mean, obviously they got those guys pulling them in the right direction and teaching them the right things. Um, you know, I, again, as I said earlier, I think when it comes down to it, though, coaches can help lead and coaches can help do stuff, but it's only, it's only the 11 dudes that get to play between the white lines. You know, so it's going to be up to the guys that get on the field that can execute and go perform on Saturdays and stuff. But um, to me, I love the, you know, just that overall intensity, um, just already being an intense person as it is anyways. And I think he brought a mentality that was much needed, you know, and that there was been lacking near the end, you know, of just that. I mean, it, 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 this it's not a boy's sport, you know. You're It's modern-day gladiators out there. And, uh, you know, I, but to me, it, it's impressive. Believe me, seeing some of those kids walking on the sideline and stuff, I'm just like, holy smokes. Like, <laughs> I don't know what, you know, what continuing images I had of myself when I played and stuff. But, I mean, they, they, they do a great job of, you know, molding, you know, young men into men. I mean, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, I think I just, I think I, I'm just, like, I mean, just like most fans, I think a lot of it's just the anticipation to see that, that explosion of, uh, you know, performance from everyone too, you know, because I mean, I, I think the talent's there. I think we all know the talent's there. It's just a matter of it all coming together and, you know, just executing. But I think a lot of it is, it's just got to come with guys got to loosen up. Guys got to have fun. Yes, you're there to work. You're there to make the best of it stuff. When it's when it's game time, man, you've already already put in all that work. You know, let's let's go out and have fun. Absolutely. So I'm curious your your perspective, someone that's just been around the Gamecocks program for so long. Um, I mean, you sure. first stepped on campus 2002. And like you said, you, you came back this this past spring game that just happened in April. Um, when you take a look at the facilities and not just inside williams Bryce Stadium, but around the stadium, you know, Gamecock Park, obviously the fairgrounds, oh, the, the sure. development around the stadium. I mean, how crazy is it to look from 2002 to now and see the insides and the ins and outs and these new facilities. Oh, it's the changes. No around. doubt. No, it's, it is. No, it's, uh, you know, it's almost, it's hard to even think back in that scope, you know? Um, I mean, I definitely was there before, you know, a bunch of the condos and high rises and stuff kind of took off right there near the end of my career. Yeah, you, you were there with um, the farmer's market. I mean, that, everybody. Probably, oh, yeah, far, farmer's market. Who remembers biscuit house? <laughs> yeah, I yep. remember crushing from Biscuit House. Um, but no, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's great to see what they've done. And I, I know, and just even from one, from the aspect of, because I got my master's in sport and entertainment management, and I know it was even always something that Lou Holtz, even when he was recruited, it was about, was just like, I mean, if there was anything that they could change about South Carolina, is they wish they could move that stadium right next to campus. You know, because when you think about it, you know, you go into your class, just that commute time going to class, taking one of the other responsibilities you have to do on campus, well, it's going to take you 10, 15 minutes to get over there to the stadium. Well, you're going to do that at least twice a day. Mm. You know, there's a 30-minute loss of time there. But in the same sense, too, it's the trains. Yeah, I mean, like, I can't tell you how many times I, I left 45 minutes in an hour before practice will start just to get over there just to ensure I didn't worry about trying to catch those suckers uh, but uh, I think a lot of it honestly is just seeing the, I mean because I went over there for the uh, I'm trying to think I think it was they had it open for the Letterman Association 
um, in February, and I went over there for the first time to see the new facility. And I mean, it's it is awesome. God, that place is amazing. And you know, I've been fortunate enough to kind of walk back through there a couple more times and stuff. And I mean, when I first got there, I mean, goodness, the the old, which is I guess considered now the old athletic training room that they just moved from that used to be the weight room um what used to be the players lounge was actually the athletic training room connected to the locker room um i mean even the offices i mean going from much of the offices that turned into a lot of the um like the facility facility offices and for people at the at williams price and for the university that had that are probably offices over there now those were meeting rooms for us you know, so I've seen it go from the center block walls to a speck of daylight coming in to, you know, what it is now. I mean, it is, that is state-of-the-art, top-of-the-line, you know, facilities that they have there. And, you know, just seeing just the simple aspects of, like, walking directly off the field into the weight room and get your weight room knocked out, like, awesome. You know, I think it's fantastic. And, um, you know, they didn't, I don't think he spared an expense on, you know, giving every, every, every student athlete there, you know, football player wise, the, the tools, you know, to succeed. And I think even taking advantage of even just, you know, the kind of the modern day technology of things, you know, just from when I first got there, they still, still had tape decks, you know, that's how you watched your film. You know, and again, that was 2002. You know, it wasn't even burned to DVDs. They still, it was just easier for them to do the tapes. And then, you know, obviously everything going digital, going to the computers and all that stuff. But to now to where I could be 100% wrong on this, and this may not even be factual, but I'm almost sure this guys have iPads now. So you can sit there and watch your film, evaluate yourself, watch watch your film. I mean, to me, that's awesome. Yeah, to be able take, to take it home with them and watch it, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, and, and the coaches get the monitor to see what guys are putting in the work or not. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, that's awesome. Just because, you know, I, I remember even my high school coach said, you think you watch enough film now, which we, for high school, we watched a pretty decent amount of film, to where I got there with Lou Holtz. I mean, the amount of film we watched was insane. I mean, from your individual drills to – one-on-ones to half-line to inside to team to special teams to I mean all of it you know but the thing is that's the greatest tool that there is because you you can't see yourself when you're out there performing so you know to be able to see to have that tool to do so is just awesome but I mean the coaching facilities and stuff again I've gone over there to talk with Coach Wolford you know this year when he got back or I know he's been back for several years now but that's the first time I've actually been able to go back to sit down and chit chat with him and stuff but I mean just I mean the meeting rooms I mean all that stuff is just it's it's awesome it really really is and it's great to see how the university has taken that uh the fairground or the uh, old farmer's market facility and you know it, it that place is it's gorgeous and I can't wait to see even over the years how just how much more beautiful that place really is going to be Absolutely. Well, Andy, before we let you go, I do want to wrap it up with just asking you a simple question. When you had, when you look sure. back on your Gamecocks career, um, if you had to pick one, what would you say would your was your favorite memory wearing the garnet and black? Man. Well, I mean, 
golly, can I give you like three? No, that's fine. That'll uh, work. No, I know it's a tough question. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I mean, like literally, I mean, I know the way we beat Clemson in 2006, being behind, you know, some crazy plays happened. They went up the score. And for us to, you know, to crawl, scratch our way back to winning that game, um, I mean, that was exhilarating. That was awesome being on the road, being able to win there. And then I think even at the time when we won, that was the first time we had won there in like 10 years. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. that was a big momentous opinion, you know, there. Um, probably one of the, you know, one that, I mean, probably is one of the top ones of, of me playing there. It was It was at the Liberty Bowl. And, um, I think it was our last touchdown of the game because, I mean, that ended up being a shootout between us and uh, Houston. And we ran a little quick game play. And uh, and Blake threw a – I think it was a fade or it was a sluggo to, to, to Kenny. And Kenny caught it, scored a touchdown and stuff. But there was like six minutes left in the game. And Kenny, like, took the ball, crow hopped, and threw that football either out of the stadium or definitely up to the top part of the – uh, Liberty Bowl Stadium there, and I I just remember I burst out in the laughter because it was one of the funniest damn things I saw on the football field. Just there's six minutes left, and then he just crow hop, you know, just so excited and pumped about it and stuff. I mean, it was it was awesome, and you know, it was great to be a part of, to be on that field, and you know, to be teammates with people like that. I mean, it just you know, it's why you play the game. You know, the, to 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 celebrate in the end zone, man. There ain't nothing better. And uh, you know, probably the other one. I would say the number three story is probably uh, the the first touchdown I called at Carolina was pretty awesome. You know, I don't have film on it. I wish I did. I wish there was some way I could show it. But pretty much that week, Lou Holtz had it in his head that it was just like, all right, third series of the game, the twos are going in. And, like, literally, first two series, I think we went three and out, three and out. Ole Miss was already up 14 to nothing on their first two or three possessions. And so, sure enough, twos went in. I mean, second-string quarterback, second-string linemen, second-string tight end, receivers. And we marched right down the field, and we ran a little little flood route, and I was the crossing tight end. Um, and, and that was actually Blake's first touchdown. And he, you know, threw a pretty ball. I settled right into the zone, caught the ball, ran over a safety to go into the end zone. And you want to talk about, like, a rush of just – adrenaline and noise running someone over and then much less being at a home football game sold out to hearing that roar. I mean, it was quite exhilarating, you know, and probably hard to mimic and find another feeling like that. For sure. Good stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, and Andy, really do appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, obviously, good memories, Absolutely, good stories, Chris. and uh, you know, would love to have you back on. Obviously, to talk some ball. I'll For do sure. my best to try to find the. Uh, it's funny. I was looking on YouTube as well for that Ole Miss game, so hopefully that comes up because I I know some people on YouTube been able to throw up some of the pay per view games you guys played in. So hopefully that one. Turns sure. Up. I'd love to uh, love to get that film up there. But yeah, man, really do appreciate you taking the time. And like I said, let's uh, let's do it again sometime for sure. For sure, absolutely. All right, so perfect. All right, so for, Cox. Thanks, Chris. Absolutely. So for Andy Boyd, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys taking the time, and we'll talk to you next week on another episode of the Spurs Up.
everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.